and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Wednesday edition, which means it's time to break down some games, people. Hope you have a 2-0 fantasy squad looking into the eyes of week three. But hey, if you don't, it's only week three, so glass half full. Either way, we like to keep it positive here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And by we, I mean myself and Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. You hear him on here several times every single week. Dwayne, happy week three, man. Thanks, man. Excited. I mean, it's, it's wild that we're already through two weeks. Um, but man, now we're to that part. Like last week was awesome. It was the big unveil. Um, sorry, week one. And then week two, it's like, okay, now we've got one more data point. But like week three, like for me, um, it's where you really start to be able to see like, okay, is there a trend? Is Was that just one data point? You know, what's the deal? So like for me, especially with someone like so, you know, I get so excited about utilization and nerdy stuff like that. Like this is a really cool week for me. So I am very, very ready for week three of the NFL. Just happy we're getting answers, man. Six, seven yeah. months of just all screaming at each other <laughs> in the fantasy industry and not having any way to tell really who is going to be right or wrong. At least now we can find out because football is back and we love it. Uh, for those listening to the first one of these, basically Dwayne and I are going to go through all 16 games of the week. I got the away teams. He's got the home teams. We mix it up a little bit, but the general goal is to go ahead and try to give our main takeaway. Now, last week we ended up going about two hours after I said if we go through everything and that'll take us about two hours so i don't know we just want to try to uh, mouth off some cool shit while we're here so thank you as always for tuning in and let's get to it with another brutal thursday night game on paper but that's the way it should be Dwayne. i like my thursday night football to be bad on paper makes it that much better when we get some good games panthers at the texans carolina sitting at seven and a half point favorites game total resting at 44 Let's give my guy who I've just backed up all summer, Sam Darnold, some love. You know, never had any rants uh, going on about Darnold and how bad uh, he's been over his career. Two of Darnold's top six career games in PFF grade have come this season. The guy has been playing... You know, at first I, I said, okay, uh, on Sunday's pod. And then I said, you know what? I can't say, okay, I got to say good. I'm getting close to saying very good, Dwayne. Like, I don't know if we're there yet. He has faced the Jets and a Saints defense missing five starters. Either way, like this version of Sam Darnold has been certainly much, much better than the guy we saw in New York, which I get it was predictable. We're still not exactly seeing him, you know, be this world beater in fantasy land, but hat off to you, Sam Darnold, because at least... We have DJ Moore finally doing what he was put on this earth to do, and that is be a legit elite fantasy wide receiver one. Right now, his 16-game target pace is at 152. So, hey, even if Darnold falls off a little bit, at least he realizes that he's got to feed DJ the freaking rock. So, I guess the one interesting thing to point out, because as someone that was a little bit wrong on DJ Moore this offseason, it's just been good to see them use him in a role that I think fits his talents more. In 2020, DJ Moore, average target depth, 13.8 yards in 2021 9.2 he can do it all we see him make plenty of plays downfield and stuff but coming in the nfl it was that yak ability that was what was so borderline erotic so i'm happy to see dj Moore getting more of a true wide receiver one role Beyond that, though, people, we got to be a little bit careful about everyone else. We know McCaffrey's in there, but Robbie Anderson, his average target depth went from 9.8 yards to 22.3. He's essentially a boomer bust wide receiver four at this point. And we got Terrence Marshall losing snaps to someone, something named Brandon Zilstra, Zystra. I actually have known Brandon because, you know, when you play in the preseason streets enough, you kind of learn these names. Either way, weren't expecting that to be an issue. So I'm not saying you need to cut Robbie or Terrence just yet. Just realize beyond DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, this offense still doesn't have a lot of sure things in it. 
Dwayne, we got a Houston Texans team that was really exceeding expectations. Tyrod, Brandon Cooks making a lot of pl plays and being fun. Unfortunately, Tyrod's already been ruled out with a hamstring injury, and now we're getting the Davis Mills experience. Is there anybody on this offense other than Brandon Cooks that you feel even somewhat comfortable rolling with? No, the main Cooks is really the only guy to hit on. We'll save some time here. But if you just, I just pulled it up for folks. I went back and looked. So while Davis Mills was in the game, he threw 20 balls. Ten of those were to none other than Brandon Cooks. So 50% <laughs> target share. Now the sheesh on it is, well, of, of those 10 targets, only four receptions for 28 yards. Now he did squeak a touchdown out. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be a wide receiver three kind of thing, you know, which is weird for a receiver that's ranked number 12, you know, right now in PPR. Um, that's before last night. I didn't pull in last night's finishes, but through uh, Sunday night football, it was, it was number 12 through two weeks is where Cooks is sitting. But I mean, he's, he's dominating everything. Air yards, he's at 54% for the season, 35% of the team targets, 30% targets per route run. He's out there 95% of the routes on um, third and fourth down. He's almost half the targets, 24% um, of his targets coming on play action. So he's really the only one to hit on. I mean, if you have, Brandon Cooks, you're probably, unless you're in a shallow league, you're going to play him, you're going to fire him up. I would just treat him more like a wide receiver three than a wide receiver one or wide receiver two borderline wide receiver one this week with Mills as the starting quarterback. Moving right along the Sunday, we got the Bears at the Browns. Cleveland sitting at seven and a half point favorites. Game total at 47. It's looking like the Justin Fields start, everybody, because NFL Network's Tom Pelissero has reported Dalton is considered week-to-week -week with this knee injury. Fields, quote-unquote, appears to be in line to make the start. So, Dwayne, we do our rankings on Tuesday night, so I know we don't have it directly in front of us, but I went ahead and just tried to run through the QBs to get an idea of where Fields might be landing. And the guys that I think we are for sure starting ahead of Fields this week, Kyler, Mahomes, Lamar, Russ, Josh Allen, Dak, Brady, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Aaron Rodgers. Those are the only definitive ones I have. I think we can talk about Fields versus Stafford, Cousins, Tannehill, Carr. I think worst case, if you want to be a pessimist, we're looking at QB 15. Optimist, QB 10, QB 11. Out of that initial list, again, I know you don't have your rankings done. I don't either. But does that sound about right to you? Yeah. You okay. know what sounds about right to me? 20 to 30% of the rushing attempts on the yeah. team. And that's all you got to tell me, man. Once you tell me that, uh, you know, I'm pretty much like the guy could never throw a ball and I would probably still be sucker enough to put him in the top 10. It's just, we've talked about it before, so I won't belabor it. It's really hard when you put up those sort of rushing numbers um, to not finish in the top 12 and give your shot. And then if you do anything in the passing game, like above average, right, you're, you got a shot, you know, to be in the top three. So, um, yeah, I'm all over fields. I think you probably just you probably threaded that needle about as well as you could right where you put the cut line. That's about where I would put it. I think with Stafford, where it starts to get a little, you know, it gets closer because mm -hmm. and a lot of that's just because, man, I'm excited about L.A. versus Tampa Bay. Oh, I mean, yeah. like who wouldn't be excited about that? So, yeah, I think you I think you put the cut line right about at the right spot. And it is for that rushing ability, folks. Just that volume for him to have 10 rush attempts last week already puts him in a pretty exclusive group of quarterbacks to have double-digit rush attempts in a game since week one of last season. Specifically, Cam Newton, Deshaun Watson, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Taysom Hill. All guys, other than Cam, who for the first time in 2020 wasn't a consistent QB1. All guys that we were seeing you know, in the top 12 quarterback ranks more weeks than not. We did see two random one-offs from Ryan Finley and Jimmy G in there, but you guys get the point. And last thing I would add is, you know, for you box score watchers out there, Justin was not as bad passing the ball as it looked. He hit Allen Robinson in the chest on what should have been a 35 
five-yard touchdown, unfortunately dropped. And Darnell Mooney even dropped a sideline pass that I thought was actually his uh, most impressive throw of the day. So uh, great things from Fields. And again, once we get these rankings figured out, looking at a legit, potentially, top 12 QB from day one. So hopefully all you listeners out there got Kirk Cousins to get you through the first two weeks. And now we are riding steady with Fields so long as Matt Nagy doesn't do anything stupid, which we can't quite assume, but you could imagine. Dwayne, we got a Browns offense that is without Jarvis Landry. He has hit the injured reserve list, hopefully getting OBJ back. But hey, man, are we just looking at another game that's going to run through Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. At some point when OBJ does come back, um, you know, you got to be pretty excited about it. Even if even if he's coming back, you know, and only playing, you know, 90 percent or whatever the case may be when he gets on the field, just because they need someone. I mean, this last week they were they were running 13 personnel, 12 personnel all the time. Like I've never seen so many tight ends like getting so many different routes uh, from all three of them. Typically, you know, one guy's more the blocker and then the, the second guy may he get to run. He gets to he gets to run a few routes just so the coach stays happy. And then the third one is typically the the main receiver right now, this team likes to use a lot of 12 personnel because they like to go heavy and they like to run the ball, which is back to your main point. Yeah, this is really just about the backs. Um, you know, I would grade this, you know, last week was a smash matchup like for Chubb. Um, this week, you know, if, if last week was an A plus, when I look at this backfield for this week, I say this is this is like a B, right? It's not like the best ever, but it is a game, you know, where they're favored. Um, by seven points, they're playing at home against the Bears. So I don't see it ever being a situation, you know, where they're going to just, you know, be super behind, right? Unless they come out and turn the ball over twice, like inside the five or something like that. It should be a close enough game or they should be leading where Chubb should be able to stay relevant no matter what. And then Kareem Hunt, we know, is basically insulated because even if things go south, we know he gets the passing down work. Um, so, yeah, it's really just about those two guys. And if Beckham is in the game, you know, I'll probably have him on that borderline wide receiver four, wide receiver three status. I know we were higher on him to begin the year, but that's because we had really been told, look, he's ready. He's going to be there. You know, it's just going to, we're just going to test him out pregame. Everything really said that Beckham was ready. So I don't know if he had a setback right before, you know, right before week one that we should be worried about, but we're not getting any reports on, you know, or if it's just a confidence thing for Odell Beckham Jr. But if there's a confidence thing for him, that creates a confidence thing for me, you know, Ian, as far as getting him in my lineup. So I do have a couple of teams um, in some deeper leagues where I, I kind of need him. If he's there, I'm going to have to use him just because I have so many injuries at receiver, like where I own Jerry Judy and some different other guys that are all hurt right now. Um, but I'll probably have him right on the cusp but like that he'll be in that mid wide receiver four range is my guess about where he'll fall out i'm not quite done with my projections but that's about where i think he'll land it's what we got to do for at least this first week and you know the thought process going into the year everything was positive about the injury and you know hey, all these injury doctors with pff and everywhere else they don't have you know specific tests that these nfl teams do so they're doing their best i'm not trying to throw them under the bus in the same way we are you know the 49ers beat writers no excuses there but uh just with some like we were looking at the experts and they were also in agreement that obj was likely to be ready by week one so unfortunate the way it's worked out people could have been worse hopefully he's back you know ready to go in week three but Dwayne, you, what you were saying at first about all these three tight end uh, sets man i saw it was like one of the first i think it was the first drive of the game baker hits this like cover two hole shot down the sideline to harrison freaking bryant who's very good like he's a good tight end and all that but i was like damn dude like we got baker having to make these ridiculously like high difficult throws to his third string tight end pretty much who's lined up as a true wide receiver like baker's they call played that the turkey hole ian 
and it's the turkey hole. And cover two, it's the turkey hole. Turkey hole. Okay, I'll, I'll improve my terminology here. Good, uh, good, good looking out by you. Good looking out by you. All right, Cardinals at Jaguars. Arizona, modest seven and a half point favorites. I guess they are on the road. Jaguars can't be jagging, I guess, for that long. Whatever, I'm not a gambling expert. Game total at 52 points. So, people, it's the, you know, it's Kyler Murray's uh, world. We're all just living in it. Pre-shoulder in 2020 and through the first two weeks of 2021, he has ripped off the following weekly finishes. QB5, QB5, QB6, QB7, QB5, QB4, QB2, QB1, QB2, and the first two weeks of 2021, back-to-back QB1 performances. So, yeah, we got to get them ahead of Mahomes, ahead of Lamar, all these guys. Kyler is the QB1 going in this week because at his best, he basically has Mahomes' passing production and the closest anyone else other than maybe Jalen Hurts is going to come to Lamar's uh, rushing production. He is a walking, talking fantasy cheat code i'm just wondering how much longer is deandre hopkins going to be relatively ignored now he's found the end zone plenty on his 12 count them 12 targets through two weeks but he had that many in like six individual games last year like plus more i guess that's what i'm wondering about here because rondale kirk even aj green for about two snaps on Bashad breeland last week we know these guys can make plays particularly in this matchup i'm just wondering like when are we going to see the 15 16 target hopkins game or is that maybe a thing a little bit more of the past so hopkins you're obviously firing him up i think kirk rondale we're not going to go too far into AJ uh, Green train. Let's not get too crazy here, people. Kirk and Rondale, I think, deserve that wide receiver four uh, kind of treatment, probably in that same little tier as Odell, particularly in this uh, plus spot. But yeah, the one cool stat I found that I think should make everyone feel even better about this passing offense. The Jaguars are basically doing the old headed, you know, which isn't all that surprising given what we've seen from Urban so far, but they're basically saying we're going to stop the run and we're going to make that, you know, the defining characteristic of our defense because <laughs> nobody has had more snaps with at least eight defenders in the box than the Jaguars at 64 through two weeks. Only the Seahawks who fit that exact same mold are even over 50. So Jacksonville is basically saying like, Hey, we're going to shut down James Conner in this game. You guys better watch out everyone else should be looking pretty good so did you see the clip where the reporter actually asked uh you know urban meyer this week do you think you're getting out coached <laughs> what did he say he's like he, getting out coached he's like no i'm not getting out coached and i think people are sitting there like looking at their analytics handbook they're like the fuck you are anyway, <laughs> sorry uh so, so yeah the only thing i would say on rondell moore um remember in week one Whenever the Cardinals got really ahead, what did they do? In the second half, they went to their 12 personnel looks. And really where Rondell's getting his run is when the team is in a closer game or in a trailing script, and they have to swing more to the 10 personnel looks. And that's where Rondell's route explosion came from really last week um, was from the fact that they didn't use as much 12 personnel. So did Christian Kirks. So I would say Christian Kirks really in that wide receiver four uh, range with Beckham. I really think this week Rondell Moore's one tier below because they okay. could easily be winning by 25 points, you know, at halftime. So now he could put up a big play easily. Um, you know, as far as Hopkins and the other guys go, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, not get excited about them, even though they may not have to, you know, throw the ball as much um, just because of the matchup, the, you know, from a strength of schedule standpoint, it's a 7.2 on a scale of one to 10. Um, you got implied points of nearly 30 in the game. Like you've already hit on the totals big. I mean, everything looks good, you know, for Hopkins, you know, AJ Green's just really a mirage. Like he's, 
he's out there like making sure we can't get enough out of Kirk or Rondell Moore to start him. Basically, um, AJ Green, we love you. You have been one of the all-time greats in my fantasy playing career. Um, so, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. Where I'm at on the Cardinals. But real quick, just on the Jaguars, another really good one, Ian. Thanks for you know. I got, here's the cool <laughs> I, thing. I got since some I'm coming. Home, I got some I'm coming. Always, since I'm always home team, I know eventually. I know Ian gets the Jaguars as much. For the season, as I do, you know, so <laughs> that makes me feel better. Equal so, opportunity here on the PFF <laughs> Fantasy Pod. Yeah, so just as far as you know, the Jags go. Um, that's such an appropriate name right now. Um, <laughs> there really isn't a ton, you know, to hit on here. I mean, it's it's really about Trevor Lawrence. He's just not looking that good yet. Ian, you know, his adjusted completion percent is only sixty one percent. Yards per attempt on the year five point four, including a five a three point six yards per attempt last Sheesh. week. Yeah, he's not getting the design runs that we thought he would probably get. You know, um, the scrambles are low, which we thought we would get more of those. He's not getting sacked a ton, so you got to give him some credit for that. It's not like everything's, you know, not like the wheels are just shooting off in every direction. They're all just like rolling off the side of the road to one direction. <laughs> so um, it's just tough to get excited too much about the offense. The, here, the good thing I will say is um, they're first in the league in plays per minute, and thank God because they're dead last in time of possession. They've been trailing on 69% of their plays for the season, um, which is really, really rough. And it's hard to put up fantasy points when you're always stuck in a situation where the defense knows exactly what you're going to be doing. And that's really the situation that a young offense um, with a lot of different issues um, has been put into. And I think that's what we're seeing. Um, as far as the receiver, or as far as the backs go, um, we've, we hit on it a little bit this earlier this week. So folks want to hear more about the breakdown of what it looks like. But, but it does look like Robin and starting to get back up into the good graces, you know, of the coaching staff. So I think he's on the, he's, he's right. He's on the border, Ian, of being trusted every week, RB two status, you yeah. know, is the way I would put it. 73% of the snaps last week, 73% of the rushing attempts. He had 10% of the targets, hundred percent of the short down and distance, hundred percent of the long down and distance. The only thing, and this is so weird. Do you ever think, do you ever equate the name Carlos Hyde and two-minute receiving back together? No. Don't tell <laughs> me that Hyde's dominating that. <laughs> yes, Hyde had Hyde took over the two-minute role from James Robinson. I'm like, what the hell? Like, this is like, it's like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, man. It's like I'm in some alter, you know, world or reality here. Um, you know, the Twilight Zone kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's it with the backs. And then, you know, Chark and Marvin Jones are really the main two options. We've got to keep an eye on LaVisca Chenault this week. They say he should be fine, but he is dealing with a shoulder injury. So we'll see if he's going to be able to suit up. If he doesn't, I would anticipate that meaning. Honestly, more looks underneath for James Robinson this week because they don't really have anybody else that can come in at this point and fill that kind of role, right? Chark and Marvin Jones are really more the outside, intermediate, vertical field stretchers. They, James O'Shaughnessy, their tight end, is also hurt. So Luke Farrell is going to have to play this week. So I really think that James Robinson, if you hear that LaVisca Chenault's out, I think this could be a 20% target type week for J-Rob. Yeah, my whole family knows who James O'Shaughnessy is now because I was cursing his name as he sunk all my DFS lineups last week. <laughs> Couldn't stay healthy even a little bit. That's what I get for playing a 2,700 tight end that much. But yeah, like you said it on Hyde. I devoted one sentence to him in my uh, running back breakdown article you can check out on pff.com. And that sentence was, Hyde is nothing more than a deep league bench stash who hysterically would probably get a bell cow roll should Robinson miss any time. That's where we've reached uh, with this Jaguars offense. Carlos Hyde, by the end of this year might very well be a fantasy factor. Thank you, Urban Meyer. 
now in a much uh, more competitive game. So we hope Chargers at the Chiefs. KC sitting at six and a half point favorites. 55.5 point game total. Believe that is the second highest of the week behind only the Vikings and the Seahawks. So cool stat from PFF Mike. Mike Renner, our lead draft expert. I, we told you guys in the you know review pod Sunday night how many you know missed not missed opportunities, how many penalties the Chargers had that basically took away big plays, and Mike was able to quantify that for us. So Justin Herbert had 83 passing yards called back from penalty, which is the most of this season, and only Week 5 Patrick Mahomes last season, who by beat him by one yard with 84, had more. So truly, Herbert was fantastic in this game, and he's looked great all year. Again, like the eye test in the box, the box score doesn't do him justice, but even with that said, yards per attempt, 8.1 this year versus 7.1 last Last year adjusted completion rate 78.7 percent this year 73.8 percent last year i mean as long as he keeps balling like this man we are gonna get keenan mike and eckler all high-end fantasy performers week in and week out and it goes for herbert too man he has surpassed 300 yards and or accounted for three touchdowns and 14 of his 16 career starts like herbert is just a machine he's making the right decision every time he's got the arm that can put the ball wherever he wants and his mental development seems like it's further along than anyone could have hoped for going into year two so we all knew keenan allen was a top 10 guy but more and more Dwayne, we're seeing mike williams roll get pretty close to there himself you know maybe another week of pure upside wide receiver three treatment but even then like the concern after week one was what happens when austin eckler gets a lot more involved in the passing game he did mike was just fine so i think if anything maybe we need to even it out a little bit because there is only one ball to go around maybe keenan isn't as much of the top six top seven receiver maybe we need to look at it a little more like the cowboys guys where they're a little more borderline wide receiver one guys both of them closer than that but either way you're happy Happy with Mike and Keenan on your team. Should be in starting lineups in fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. And final note, shout out Austin Eckler, man. He is so freaking good at football. That one-handed catch he had last week on that wheel. And then he took a shot from Trayvon Diggs. And the illegal one, an illegal shot straight to his head, I thought it was the single best catch of week two. So great stuff from the Chargers. And Dwayne, you had to deal with, let's see, the Jaguars and the Texans to start. Now you got the Chiefs. Go off, my friend. Yeah, man. And well, the thing about the Chiefs is, is it's easy. Like we know where the ball's going. So True. <laughs> it is awesome, but it's easy. So just so people know a little bit about my process, um, like how I set up my tiers and my rankings for the week, like my first pass at all this is pretty simple, you know, so I'll take the total for the game, the spread. So for a quarterback, you don't want a huge favorite, right? For a running back, you don't want a huge dog. So I appropriately weighed all these things based on, you know, kind of how it's worked out historically, you know, on some of the data that I have. And then I have the implied point, you know, total, which is essentially taking, you know, the spread and then you're splitting, you know, the points Vegas has them at plus their spread. And you're splitting that to give an implied total. And then I use our tools at PFF. I use the quarterback strength of schedule for the quarterback and so on for the other positions. But then I also look at is what's the offensive line matchup for the quarterback. And then the last thing I do is I take um, our PFF projections, which I put up against mine. And essentially I've, I just have a color coded grid. And not that you need this for Patrick Mahomes, but it's green all the way across. <laughs> so he and Kyler Murray are both green all the way across. So essentially the way I do it is, you know, you've got your top players and they're together and they're in a tier kind of, and then you're using those variables to rank them in the tier. Okay. And then the same thing for the next tier, the same thing for the next thing. So 
Patrick Mahomes, obviously you own him. You're or sorry, you rostered him. You're starting him. Um, but for DFS, you know, it's 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 another spot that's going to be a smash play. We'll see what the ownership's going to look like. Um, that'll come out tomorrow. You know, from the team here at PFF. That's the next variable that I throw in on Wednesdays. And I and I use I use actually the the pricing in DFS too because we know it's really good. Like as can be the other that can be another column you can use and say if that's green. You already know Mahomes is going to be expensive, so it's going to be green anyway. But it would be a six, it would be a seven of seven if I put the pricing up there right now. Um, so that's really good for Mahomes. But man, the only other thing I want to say with the Chiefs is just so disappointing. Like, is to have um, you know a, a back like Clyde Edwards-Helaire, Ian, getting seventy percent of the rushing attempts. He's out there for sixty percent of the routes, eighty um, percent of the short down and distance snaps so far this year. He's getting everything on the ground. Now, as far as the two-minute offense, only getting 40% long down and distance. That's mostly all going to Daryl Williams. So they are giving the passing game work um, to the other backs. Um, the problem is the Chiefs throw the ball a ton, right? So it, not everything's always equal when you look at these utilization charts. So when you have a team that throws the ball 67% of the time, which is where the Chiefs are for the season, and they throw the ball, dude, they throw the ball 63% of the time when they're leading, for Christ's sake. Like, they don't just throw it when they're behind or when the game's close. They throw the ball really in all scenarios. And that's what's catching up with Clyde Edwards-Alaire here. So it's, again, like, you know, I'm probably using this analogy too much, but like the threading the needle thing, it's basically when you're down inside the five, you're hoping that they decide to to use a run play and that Clyde Edwards-Alaire is in the game and then he can poke in a touchdown. You would think a back that's getting as much work as we just talked about, even if they aren't getting all the passing down role, being an explosive offense like the Chiefs would be worth more. But his PPR ranks so far for the season, 33-47, now 43 overall on the year. So, And Clyde Edwards-Alaire just doesn't look explosive in. You know, he doesn't create big plays. He's a good player, but he's not electric. You know, He's not, oh man, if he gets 10 touches, two of them could go to the house. No, it's if he gets 10 touches, probably zero of them are going to the house. Like he needs... He needs some help in that area. Like he's very good, like in a phone booth kind of thing, like make you miss, but like trying to have the, you know, when you talk about long speed and angles and those things, that's really not necessarily his game. So looking at Edwards Alaire, I'm definitely, I'm definitely disappointed. Um, I'm bumping him outside of, of my, uh, RB1 rankings, you know, pretty much the rest of the way. I will oh, say yeah. this is his last chance, Ian. So he's got, <laughs> yeah. a, he's got a spread of 55. They're a six-and-a-half-point favorite, 31 points implied. Um, offensive line, the offensive uh, line run-blocking advantage is a 43, which to give folks, um, you know, an idea, like 80 is the best for the week. And there are some teams at minus 26, minus 21. So it's well above the league average. You've got a good matchup on the offensive line. And from a running back strength of schedule, you know, it's a 6.1 out of 10. So it's on the positive side. So it's not like full on green like Mahomes, but it's like green with some neutral mixed in. So like he's got to do it for me this week or I'm pretty much, this is how I'm going to be, you know, and if, for those of you listening, that's me just wiping my hands clean. Um, you, pre- you guys probably just hear mouse clicking, but that's okay for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah, real quick, we have heard some complaints about the mouse being a little too loud, and we are getting a silent mouse accordingly. I'm ordering so, a silent mouse. There we go. We'll so see how quiet my mouse is. But. Always trying to improve the quality for you folks, and shout out to whoever asked if Dwayne plays Minesweeper uh, mid-podcast. <laughs> how did they know that? Oh, man, that was funny. Uh, two quick things. I am 100% with you on this being uh, CEH's last chance. It's basically like the rookie of the year, Chet Stedman. You know, his arm, his arm's out. He's out there. He's asking for one more. Give me one more. Like, that's where Give we're at more. with Clyde Edwards-Alaire at this point. And final note, which I just came across like 10 minutes before this podcast started, shout out to at Six Man box for finding the screen grab and that uh in the ravens game at one point they literally put like you know how 
on punt team, you have the gunner out wide and the defense usually puts two men on him. The Ravens literally did that coverage on Travis Kelsey for a snap. Two defenders in front of him. And the only other receivers I've seen get that treatment really ever were Des Bryant against the Titans one time, Calvin Johnson against the Saints, and OBJ against the Packers. So that's Antonio how- Gates. Antonio Gates used to get it a lot inside the Oh my gosh, the, the list yeah. keeps growing. Okay. Antonio I'll, I'll... Gates used to get it. No, it's, I mean, it was mostly against AFC West opponents. Like they all yeah. started trying to copy each other with it. Um, once they got inside the five, they literally were just like, everybody on Antonio Gates. You know, don't, no lineman, nothing. Everyone just huddled around Antonio <laughs> Gates. And what's funny is River's still sitting there waiting on him. You know, it's like he's going to get open. <laughs> Kings, if you out there can find any more, uh, you know, punk gunner esque coverage on these guys, let me know. Send a pick. We'll continue to improve that, you know, pretty meaningless but fun database. Next matchup, we got the football team at the Bills. Buffalo sitting as nine and a half point favorites. Game total is down to 45 and a half after opening at 46 and a half. So shout out Taylor Heineke. I think one of the coolest stats I found this week. 45 quarterbacks have at least 100 dropbacks since 2020, including the playoffs. Heineke is first in big-time throw rate, meaning he has made some of the toughest throws, the most big-time throws on the most consistent basis, and he is first in turnover-worthy play rate. And that those are both good. This means he is limiting the, the sorts of fumbles, the interceptions, the you know dropped interceptions, the sorts of bad plays. Bonkers, man. Small sample, but it's basically like if you took Jameis Winston and removed every, you know, urge to make a bad decision from this dude's body. That's how good Heineke is playing at the moment. We'll find out a lot in this road trip to Buffalo, but Bills have been playing some great defense this year. So I'm not going full in on Heineke as, you know, someone that we should be actively looking to stream. You can check out our waiver wire pod for that. Spoiler, it's Derek Carr. But yeah, so Heineke, great job so far. I see the sample increase, but, you know, Washington football fans, as someone personally that just figured there'd be a huge drop off from Fitzpatrick to Heineke or Kyle Allen, right now it's not looking that way. So credit to Taylor. But let's talk a little Antonio Gibson, people. Relax a little bit. 38 total touches through two weeks. That's ninth in the league. He's going to be fine. You know who has one more touch than him? Jonathan Taylor. Dwayne called this months ago. They have like the same role. And it sucks that they do. Because if Gibson had the pass down role that J.D. McKissick has, we could be cracking the DCCMC jokes week in and week out here. I just don't want people to really get the wrong idea of this. Because there are a couple variables at play. Gibson did have the shoulder injury going into last week. As Dwayne said, you know, we can look at week one and week two and think there's a trend there. Week three comes along we find out that's not the case so they are still trying to get him touches perhaps the shoulder thing was why McKissick was out there so much more often in uh you know passing situations just get this idea that it's all about pass protection out of here I know it's an easy way for people to try to sound you know like a true football guy it's every single person's defense to Ezekiel Elliott is like oh watch him in pass pro don't you even watch the games like I get it, people. It's very important, but it just doesn't apply here. J.D. McKissick had two pass pro snaps last week. Gibson had four. Like They use Gibson more in pass pro than McKissick. McKissick has eight total pass pro snaps this season. Like He's usually going out on a route, which, hey, I am not a mastermind of offensive pass protection. I tried to explain this one time and got absolutely eviscerated <laughs> by Betts and some other guys that were for it. But to me, it does make sense. Like, why keep JD McKissick in the A gap where his best case scenario is to block a guy when you could also throw him out in the flat where he's still accounting for a guy in coverage there as it is? So I, I know there's zero blitzes. There's things that can cause that, you know. 
one size fit all philosophy to look bad in a hurry, but you know, it's just, that's my kind of spiel on the pass protection thing. So Antonio Gibson, as much as we want him to have that top five, top six running back workload, it's not on the table at the moment. We got to treat him as more of a borderline RB one here for now. At least though, Dwayne, we have Terry McLaurin back as a weekly must start. You know, last week we were worried, Hey, is this now going to be more of a weekly wide receiver three? He eviscerated James Bradbury and that, you know, underrated giant secondary, honestly, between Bradbury and Odori. A lot of good corners there. I'm not quite putting him back in that wide receiver one territory. We had him in the preseason, but at a minimum, I think he's upside wide receiver two discussion. It's a little bit tougher matchup for him this week. Not expecting shadow coverage from Tredavious White, who hasn't been making a habit of that the last two seasons. Again, though, just... Not going all the way in on Heineke, but certainly promising from what we've seen so far. So, Dwayne, if you disagree vehemently with anything I just said, let me know. Otherwise, let's talk some bills. No, man, I thought you did a great job breaking it down. It is not about the pass protection. Yeah. <laughs> Thank it's, you. It's, it's, it's about the routes, and they like McKissick you know, as a receiver, which he's really good at. And guys, that doesn't mean that Antonio Gibson isn't good. Like you just have to understand, like the coaches get to see all the practices, all that stuff. And I'm not saying coaches don't do stupid stuff because they do. But if you think, you know, I had somebody last week on Twitter telling me that JD McKissick sucks as a receiver for a running back. I'm like, you, Okay, like mute. <laughs> just let's just hit mute. I mean, guys, look, I, I love being a fan just like you, but I think you nailed it in. So yeah, I'll leave it there. So Stefan Diggs owners and Josh Allen owners, you've been waiting. You've been waiting so patiently, and you're just, you know, you're you're ready. You're ready for the explosion. Right now you're looking at Allen, you're like, man, I did not draft Josh Allen to be QB sixteen. I did not draft Stefan Diggs to be wide receiver twenty-five. Don't worry, it's about to be over. So if you look at, yeah, so if you look at Stefan Diggs, especially um, five of six green. So once you get past, there's a few receivers, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, um, Cooper Cup, that grade out slightly higher, Tyreek Hill for this week. But once you get past that group, like Stefan Diggs is right there for me. You know, so you've got um, implied points, 27.25. You got a wide receiver strength of schedule that's number five out of um, 32 teams for the week. You've got a uh, wide receiver cornerback matchup number three so far for the week. We have a few tweaks that will be in there, but he should still end up in the top five even once we make the final adjustments for injuries and things like that. Um, so I'm, I'm all over digs this week. You know, we've got him projected for eight targets at the site. So anytime you get up to that eight, nine target range and you get these other green boxes with it, that's typically like, you know, alerts like flashing. And the other thing about, you know, dealing with, with digs. It's the beauty of like what we talked about a minute ago with the Chiefs. No matter what, the Bills are going to throw the ball. If they're leading and they're blowing, you know, Washington out, they're going to throw the ball. If the game is really close, more close than we expect, they're going to throw the ball even more. If for some reason Washington jumps ahead of the Bills for some crazy reason, they're going to throw the ball even more. So you're you're really insulated with a player like Diggs, and I do believe it's only a matter of time. And if you are in league for some reason, and you guys know you you know your league mates, everybody's got that person in their league that's hyper impatient. You know what I mean? Like they're always in a hurry to get everywhere, but they're always running late, and it's always everybody <laughs> else's fault. Whoever that person is in your league, go find them because they're on tilt right now with a player like Diggs, and just see if you can swoop in, you know, and grab them. I know a lot of leagues that's never going to happen. I know dynasty leagues is never going to happen, but it's about it's about to be a big deal for Stefan Diggs. I still think he's the top three receiver for the season. Rest of the way, that's why I've got him ranked, and I think it all starts this week, Ian. 
hundred percent. And you're spot on about the Bills just throwing no matter what. They were up twenty eight nothing in the fourth quarter last week, and they basically gave Josh Allen like one last, "Hey man, go go, go do your thing, drive." And he was launching like sixty yard bombs to Diggs. Like it, it is just hilarious what this Bills offense is capable of when things aren't clicking. AFC South matchup next. We got the Colts at the Titans. Tennessee, five-point favorites. That's down from opening at six. Game total is down to 48 and a half after opening at 50. So credit to Michael Pittman on the great game, but there's enough cause and concern over Jacob Eason or an injured version of Carson Wentz playing through not one, but two sprained ankles. It reminds me of the... Uh, was it NBA slam game when you'd like cross someone over and you hear the announcer go, someone called 911. We got two broken ankles. So that's Mike. That's Carson Wentz right now. So enough concern with those quarterbacks for me to just kind of push the pause button on Pittman, particularly if we had Campbell and at some point T.Y. Hilton back in the lineup. So let's just talk Jonathan Taylor here. Basically the same thing we just talked about with Antonio Gibson also applies to Jonathan Taylor. Borderline RB1. I'm sorry we can't rank him higher at the moment, but that's just the way the cookie is crumbling right now so the big concern is like what is going to happen with Marlon Mack was week two an anomaly or is it going to be a sign of things to come because what happened last year was yes Mack was out after like five touches but Jordan Wilkins basically had this 15 to 20 percent snap roll you get five to six carries maybe a target be just enough to be annoying to Taylor and also Hines so again people we say it's a lot we can live with two back committees three and four that's when things get messy so it's not you know a death blow to Jonathan Taylor by any stretch but it's certainly not helping so ideally Mack isn't all that effective moving forward he wasn't great you know last week and we see this backfield get back to two backs the way it was in week one so taylor you can feel good about it the guys leads the nfl in red zone carries at 12 inside the five yard line with six hot take Dwayne. i think jonathan taylor will score a touchdown at some point this year but for right now again we just need to you know push the pause on that you know ridiculous adp when he was going as like the rb6 rb7 earlier this summer and we told you guys it was pretty crazy then and it's still looking that way so i don't want marlon mack to be involved in there i know you don't either the colts seemingly do right now so Slightly push the pause button on Jonathan Taylor, but he's still someone that should be in starting lineups of all shapes and sizes. Now, Dwayne, g- give me some good news about my guy, AJB. He scored in week one. Week two wasn't good. He had a great block on Derrick Henry's long touchdown. So for those in you know, your point per big block leagues are feeling good about that. Come on, man. I need something. Yeah. I mean, AJB could have had a better week last week. Yeah. Like a lot of that was on him, you know, and we talked about that on the pod. Um, but you know, his, his day is also coming. I, I know it's tough right now, folks, because you know, wide receiver 45 and you drafted him at the end of the second round or early third, probably at the latest in your league um, for PPR and half PPR formats. So with Brown um, it's going to be okay. Like if you still look at it, you know, in 22% of the targets that leads the team. You know, um, so, I mean, we're not seeing like 28, 29, 30 percent target share. They really are splitting it up, you know, pretty closely between between him and Julio. Julio is sitting at 19 percent of the targets on the season. Um, both are right around the 20 percent targets per route run. A dot is even pretty close for them. Um, Browns is deeper at 16.7 with Julio at 13. Um, so if you look at the if you look at the third downs, though, and if you start to look at some of the other things, he's just not getting as, as quite as many of those. That's where it is getting spread around a little bit more to Julio uh, versus last year when Corey Davis was there. They didn't quite do that as much. Um, 
Um, a, a really good thing, though, that's still there is play action targets. In week one, 0% of his targets came on play action. In week two, 56% of his targets came on play action. I know your folks are probably like, you know, who cares? Whatever. <laughs> a play action target is worth roughly 15 to 20% more than a non-play Ooh. action target, just so you know. So we talk about PPR. We talk about how much a target and all these things are worth. We'll basically add 15 to 20% on top of what that looks like for a receiver when it's on play action. Julio was at 38% of the targets last week. This is just an offense, Ian, that just hasn't been able to get going yet i mean they haven't led um by three by more than three points at any point this season so they've had zero percent leading scripts and in the week one once they got down they just basically got away from play action they didn't try it at all week two even though they trailed um or were close or with or within three points for the whole game they used play action 31 percent of the time so i'm seeing some positive things right they're starting they're, they're trying to get back to like what's made them successful in the past and just kind of a little note and we i think we may have actually hit this on sunday night but man 83 percent of the two-minute offense this past week went to the big dog to Derrick Henry. Yeah. Could you imagine like what would Derrick Henry and not even being a great receiver, but it's, you know, Jeremy McNichols was what was standing in the way. <laughs> Can we just like move forward? Like, look, Jeremy McNichols, no disrespect. And he probably is just fine. Right. As a two minute back. But I mean, why not just get the guy out there that you've paid all the money to and that you know that the DB doesn't want to tackle. You're like, well, Jeremy McNichols can run an angle route. Well, I'll tell you what, nobody wants to tackle Derrick Henry on a swing pass is better than Jeremy McNichols on an angle route. Like it's just, you know, a quarterback does not want to deal with Derrick Henry. So just something to keep an eye on. You know, I, I call that monitoring and the utilization report, you know, two minute snaps going to Derrick Henry. But if that is something that sticks, man, I'm concerned about Henry's workload and, and you know, could he start to give out as the season goes on? But it, as long as he's healthy, that would put him in the upper stratosphere, you know, Ian. He would have to be there would be him and CMC one and two every week yep. that he's healthy if he's all of a sudden catching balls. And by when I say catching balls, if he just catches three or four a week, like that would put him up there with McCaffrey. That's how big of a difference that makes, especially in PPR leagues. So something to keep an eye on. For me right now, um, you know, I'm not all the way through with my rankings, but I've got Derrick Henry slotted right now at number four. He is almost green all the way. He's got he's got one neutral, and then his running back strength of schedule is slightly under the average, but it's not enough to concern me when it's Derrick Henry. Um, you know, he doesn't care who he's playing. Career high, six targets, career high, six catches last week. And yeah, the one time they did seem to use McNichols was like when they had called a time. I think they even called a timeout and it was like fourth and two. And they didn't have Derrick Henry on the field. So they're doing a better job. I get the it. The defensive coordinator's over there going, yes. Yes, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, I get it that you can't put this guy out there 100%, but maybe just on the most important plays of the game. I don't know. You're paying him $52 million. Seems reasonable, but I'm just a fantasy analyst chilling in my Cincy apartment. So it is what it is. <laughs> Speaking of Cincy, what a transition, Ian. Bengals at the Steelers. Pittsburgh sitting at three and a half point favorites. Game total at 44, down from 45 and a half. You know, people, we kind of warned you on this last week. The Joe Burrow passing express is not the same as it was last year. He has yet to clear 30 pass attempts this season. Last year, he cleared that in nine of 10 games. I mean, hell, he went for like 61 against the Browns at one point. So I don't quite get this strategy. Like, I think uh, to reference PFF Mike again, I mean, he brought up a good point. The strength of your offense is your three wide receivers. And you're pretty much like putting everyone at a disadvantage by not featuring them more often. Like this isn't keeping Burrow from taking extra hits. He's taken nine sacks in two games. So as much as they don't want him to throw as much, like when you run, run pass, I don't think that's making your offense predictable enough to really, you know, 
reach that goal that you're trying to get to. I get not trying to ask Burrow to do too much early, but this isn't working, people. So let's try something a little bit different instead of, you know, beating our heads on the damn wall. So in week one, it was Boyd that was the odd man out in terms of targets. In week two, it was Jamar Chase. He only had four targets. Luckily, one of those went for a 42-yard touchdown. He even could have had another. I think it was actually the same drive, so I'm not sure if it would have been a bigger game, but he he had another big step down the sideline, and Burrow just sailed it out of bounds, unfortunately. So Chase looks awesome and everything, but man, it could be T. Higgins next week that only gets three or four targets. So unfortunately, as great as these wide receivers are, until we start seeing this offense put more volume on Burrow's plate, I'm just nervous about putting any of them really higher than an upside wide receiver three at this point. So I think Boyd, you know, he should be the third guy, which was always the, uh, you know, conclusion with the system. It was just more that we thought all three guys could be vying for wide receiver two uh, treatment. So I don't think this is a season long issue. You're not even considering getting rid of these guys or anything. Just, you know, temper those expectations for the wide receivers until we see that volume return, because otherwise it's just the Joe Mixon show with the volume. He's had eight games since week one of last year, at least 20 combined carries and targets in each and every one of them. So Joe Mixon, workhorse RB1, I know there's everyone just waiting out there for the guy to get banged up so you can send your I told you show I, I told you so tweets until that happens keep firing up Joe Mixon otherwise just you know not these receivers as good as they are in real life they're just not must start guys necessarily for the time being particularly in a tough matchup against the Steelers so Dwayne this is an ugly offense, man. They might have the name value but some of the plays Roethlisberger has put on tape over the last two weeks are brutal man yeah I, you know this is probably like sacrilege for anybody that's like a Steelers fan, but part of me does. I, I really do start to wonder: Would they be better off? Whoa, whoa! Running, running the offense that they want to run with Canada, getting under center more, using the play action, the boots, all that kind of stuff with Mason Rudolph. Oh like because God. right now it's, like this, it's it's this weird mix of we want the offense to be one thing, but we can't do it because it's Ben. So we're like it's this Frankenstein looking thing, <laughs> um, and I just you know I don't know. Look, here's the big issue. Um, they've run the fourth least plays in the league. And you're trying to support these three receivers. Now, Deontay Johnson, we'll have to see um, early in the week. We're like, oh, yeah, totally fine. No worry. Now we're told, well, we didn't mean great. We meant he's okay. It's kind of up in the air. We'll see where Deontay Johnson lands, you know, as far as his status for this weekend. But he's the only guy in right now that when I look at it, beside he and Najee Harris, they're only two players on this team I feel comfortable starting week in, week out. I feel yeah. like if you're, if you're playing Chase Claypool, if you're playing um, Juju Smith-Schuster, you're completely playing with fire. Now, you you could absolutely have to do that based on the way your roster's built, but we're living, I think, you know, the way you just said it, we're living on the names right now still. Like reality has not set in around the Steelers offense. And I'm here to tell you, like, it is not good. This is not good. There's no way these three receivers can all finish in the top 36 the way that they were getting drafted unless this offense drastically changes, meaning they can Canada's system and they just say, we're just going to wing it and we're just going to throw the ball all the time. You know, they don't want to do that because they're worried about Ben's health from a, his arm perspective because it gave out at the end of last year. Um, you know, the other option is, do they decide to do something different and be, try to be more efficient as an offense, more like what we see, you know, with the 49ers, more like what we see with the Browns, more like what we, well, the Vikings, not quite as much this year. They're actually the Vikings, man. Talk about a crazy stat. I won't get stuck here, but out there running 10 personnel in like, what the hell's going on You know, <laughs> with the Vikings? Like they're like third and 10 personnel or some weird thing. Like I, like when I saw that this morning, I was like, I've got to rerun all this data. There's no way this is correct. <laughs> like I'm going to bog like my street. 
streetlights were all flickering because I was like <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the Vikings offense. But when you look at the Steelers, um, it's a problem. It's really, it really is. Like Deontay is he he's insulated because like he's just the best receiver on the team. He's open all the time. Thirty two percent of the targets so far. Thirty percent targets per route run. Uh, third down, you know, getting you know a fifth of the looks. Thirty five percent of the air yards. But the biggest thing, like just just Ben goes to him. You know, him from his from a target share standpoint, he's thirteen percent above Juju. He's thirteen percent above Chase Claypool. And Claypool, the other thing is, you know, they're running eleven personnel mostly because that's the other thing I was looking at. I was like, well, are they are they using more twelve? You know, what's happening? Um, and that's not the case. If you look at it, you know, they're 78% of the time, which is one of the tops in the league. They have three wide receivers on the field. But you know what they're doing to Claypool? And it doesn't show up as much in the routes as a percentage because they are running so much 11 personnel, but they are still rotating in James Washington. It's like they feel like they've just got to do it. And it's not because they're running 10 personnel groupings. They're mostly all 12. They're mostly all 11. So he's rotating in, and it's usually not Juju coming off. Now, this last week, there were a few other plays where Deontay was a little bit dinged up, and they had Washington out there. So it's not all coming from Claypool. But the main thing here is um, if you guys can move Chase Claypool, like I would, because you just heard me lay it out. Like, what are the paths? Something really has to change here. We can't just keep, this is one where I'm, I feel pretty confident. Like we know what it is and like, they've got to make a decision. What are they going to do different? Or are they just going to stick with it? And if they just stick with this, running all this motion and doing all these things, slowing the offense down, but they really can't even fully implement it because Ben's knees can't handle it. Like and the efficiency isn't coming in the returns or are they just going to say, screw it. And we're just going to throw it. You know, so I think they're probably going to just try to stick it out, you know, and keep doing what they're doing. And if that's the case, man, this is not good uh, for these receivers. Now, if you own Najee Harris, obviously you don't need me to tell you this. Everybody tells you this. He's on the field all the time. Oh, he gave up 5% of the snaps this last week to Benny Snell Jr. Um, not Benny Snell, Benny Snell Jr. But anyway, that that's my, my fear, man, with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers receivers. I really don't want to play anyone outside of Deontay. Uh, now, if Deontay's out this weekend, that would obviously be a boost for Clay and Juju. I was about to say, so the direct words we got from Mike Tomlin about Deontay, his knee is, quote, looking better, not to be confused with great. Like that doesn't <laughs> sound good to me at all. It's, I'm certainly not confusing that, you know, description as great. So let's I say Deontay. Mike, I do love Mike Tomlin. I, I love know, his quotes. What a, and, and, and of course, the first reply is Tomlin era needs to be over. Like, oh yeah, I the know. coach that's never had a losing season. Come the hell on people. But so yeah, let's, let's just say real quick, if Deontay is out, I mean, we're not shoving Claypool or Juju in the top 20, just, you know, borderline wide receiver two, up, upside wide receiver three types. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah, I think that's right. You know, again, this is the fourth least plays in the league, folks. And like, you know, there's like when you think about anything, you've got you've got the best, right? You've got the elite and you've got the worst, which are the tails. And they're kind of the outliers. And then you have everything else that's in your bell curve right in the middle. These are the out. This is the outlier on the wrong side of the bell curve. <laughs> you don't want this. This is not just bad. This is horrendous. This is really, really bad. So you want to avoid this situation as you, if you can. Saints at Patriots. Next up here, we got New England sitting as three point favorites. Game total sitting at just forty two, down from forty three. Only the Jets Broncos matchup has a lower game total, so not expecting a lot of points here. I can be pretty brief with the Saints. We are only playing Alvin Kamara at this point. We saw the entire Jameis Winston experience in the first two weeks. In Week One, he put together PFF's fifth best single game grade of this season in terms of PFF passing grade. In Week Two, he had the single worst graded game 
of the season. So LASIK Jameis, maybe that didn't solve every single problem that we saw, you know, come to fruition over the first five years of his career. Hey, it could be great, but there's just not anything in terms of targets for Troutman, for Jawan, for Callaway, for Deontay. None of these guys have shown us anything to warrant a starting spot at this point. So with that said, we're going with Kamara and we shouldn't feel great about how Kamara's season started. Like, it's kind of funny to me how Kamara gets the pass. Meanwhile, everyone just wants to, you know, drive more and more bricks like over Zeke at this point. They have each broken exactly one tackle this season and they've each scored exactly 21.6 half PPR points. Like, I get it. They're both going to be fine, but let's just not only give concern to Zeke in this case. So whatever. Most important thing, Kamara, 84% snap rate last week. That's just the sixth time in 62 regular season games that he's reached that 80% mark. As long as Jameis can just function a little bit closer to the guy we saw in week one as opposed to week two, and this offense just isn't complete dog shit from you know week to week, I think we're going to see Kamara be the usual top three running back. And if not higher, man, again, this is a sort of like per play usage that he had during Mark Ingram's suspension a couple years back. Clearly, things aren't as easy without Captain Checkdown, Drew Brees under center, but just relax on Kamara. Everything's where it should be. Continue to start him with plenty of confidence. So, Dwayne, New England, it's not looking for sure, but right now we got a 2RB committee. Let's go! Yeah, yeah, man. So, Damian Harris, um, the the positives are, right, 74% of the rushing attempts week one. 67% 67% of the rushing attempts last week. So he's at 71% of the carries on the season. Um, not something that we've got to see from a Patriots back in a long time. You know, typically the lead back means you might get 50, 55% of the rushing attempts. So Harris is on track to really blow that out. And then if you look at the way they're handling their third back, it's it's what you stated earlier. It's more of an annoying versus typically the Patriot model, like think snaps is like 50, 30, 20. And we're not seeing that really right now. What we're seeing is more of a 45, 45, 10. And that's JJ, whether that's JJ Taylor or Ramondre Stevenson. I think Stevenson was on, on pace to have a little bit big, you know, bigger role in week one. Yeah. But once he fumbled it away, um, that was really, you know, it created a different scenario. And when you look at JJ Taylor, he's really more along the, the James White archetype, right? Less the Damian Harris. So I think Harris is in a really good spot right now moving forward, obviously with Cam Newton being gone. Don't have to worry about that down inside the five. Inside the five attempts, 100% going to Damian Harris. Um, yeah, you look at the long down and distance snaps, he's not out there. That's where James White is out there. So we have two really clear roles that both are needed in every single game. As long as you don't have that third back rotating in too much, I think you can use both Patriots backs moving forward in that RB2, RB3 range, depending on your format. Obviously, James White is a PPR play. If he's a half half point, goes down a little bit. Standard league, you're not really wanting to be putting James White out there. But if you're in a PPR format, I think you can feel okay knowing that, you know what, Ian, he's going to at least give you 10. You know, he might give you 15. If you get lucky, you get a 25-point week out of him. But he's RB25 right now. Now, again, this is before pulling in last night's games. I still added all that to my data. Um, but Damian Harris um, is sitting at RB17. Um, and if he gets a few more touchdowns, you know, obviously he would be higher than that. But he looks really good. Like, if you've watched Damian Harris run, like, I've been, you know, pleasantly. I've always thought he was a decent player. But, like, he had a couple of carries last week. He's had one carry each of the first two games that I thought he looked really great on. Um, Doug Kayed from our team, actually, I think he put out, hey, he's like, Damian Harris just broke 26 tackles on a 26-yard run. So that was a really great tweet because that's exactly what the play seemed like. It was almost like a, a mini beast mode. You don't ever want to, you know, 
really compare anything to Beast Quake, but it was similar to that. And just the style and stylistically, the way he runs, very aggressive, very mean. Um, so I'm enjoying watching Damian Harris, and I do think he is a top 24 back the rest of the way. And I think James White is right there on the cusp of that. As far as the receivers, I can't tell you what to do, Ian. Um, yeah. Jacoby Myers is out there. He's playing. Um, I do think he's the top option. Everything else, I pretty much just want on my bench right now. You know, J- Jacoby Myers, I'm willing to get out there if I had to. His time has to be coming, basically. That's what I'm saying. You know, he's got 23% of the targets. He doesn't ever really leave the field. It just hasn't worked out yet, you know. Um, now, I don't think he's going to be great, but I think – We'll probably have him as a wide receiver four with wide receiver three upside. And then if he surprises us from there, we'll adjust, you know, as the season goes. But Myers is the guy that I would be keeping on my roster. Um, Aguilar, even though he's ranked a little bit higher right now, like his his role is narrower, like in the way that he gets utilized um, within the context of the offense. So not that excited about Aguilar, you know. Do you want me to talk about Kendrick Bourne or Hunter Henry or Johnny Smith? Because I don't even really want to talk about him. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to Jacoby Myers having this great, you know, 12 to 13 year NFL career, just always in three wide receiver sets, making the clutch plays and somehow never scoring a single receiving touchdown the entire time. Because that's what we're looking at right now. Man, that wide receiver can throw the ball. Would be great if he could catch it in the end zone. So I don't look like such an idiot when I talk all week about how he's going to do just that. But yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, go ahead. Now I was going to say, I will say on the, on the backs this weekend, you know, Harris is going to be more at the bottom end of my RB twos just because it is a tough matchup against the saints trying to run interior against, you know, the saints can be problematic. Now they had some suspensions and things that happened that I think have hurt, you know, the, the interior of their defense. But if you look at the running back strength of schedule, it's a 1.3 out of 10, Um, you know, so that's uh, the second, the third worst matchup of the week, you know, from a running back strength of schedule, but Here's what I'll say. The, the pay, he's still going to get his carries. He's going to get his touches. You know, it's just a matter of how efficient can he be with them. Saints, league best defense through two weeks and yards after contact allowed per carry. Yeah, the only other thing I was going to add was that, yeah, that 26-yard run, man, was freaking incredible. <laughs> I, just, I just tried to put together, like, I literally labeled a tweet week one, or this one was week two. After I finished watching every game, just try to put the notes that stood out the most to me from watching, and I, I had to include that Harris run because I think that was probably the front runner off the top of my head, best run of the year so far. Moving right along, we got the Falcons at the Giants. Now, it's uh, Giants sitting as three-point favorites. Game total of 48 and a half. So this is how much my life just revolves around football, Dwayne. As many of you know, I am the longtime president of the Cordero Patterson Fan Club. And for the first time, to my knowledge, he liked one of my you know millions of standum tweets I sent out about him last night. I was so pumped. I took a screenshot of the tweet. I tweeted that out. And my girlfriend's mother texted me like within a half hour and was like, Ian, congrats. That's on Cordero Patterson liking your tweet. So that's how sad this is uh, that, you know, not even, you know, direct blood members of my family are congratulating me about Cordero Patterson's Twitter activity. So, and then did see, you tell your, uh, did you tell her, um, yeah, I'm going to need you to go ahead and write a check to, to the club, $22 and 35 cents. And I'll the see du- you next uh, Tuesday night. Yeah. <laughs> Top 10 fantasy RB Cordero Patterson to all of you. Make sure you check out Dwayne and I's 
Tuesday waiver wire uh, pod for full thoughts on that. Basically, yeah, if you want a guy in the flex that's going to be getting you double-digit touches, that's fine. Just realize that I don't think Patterson is necessarily nearing a takeover by any stretch. And even if Mike Davis gets hurt, we're probably looking at Wayne Gallman more so stepping into that role as opposed to CPAT taking the hell over. So let's talk a little bit more about Calvin Ridley instead. I believe he is going to get shadow coverage from James Bradbury, who did a great job against Cortland Sutton in week one. Lost that battle to Terry McLaurin in week two. And I think that kind of shows the type of corner that James Bradbury is. He's a bigger body. He's great against these more physically minded receivers. But when he faces, you know, a true route running technician like a McLaurin, especially like a Calvin Ridley, I think that's where we see him, you know, come uh, into some struggles. So maybe they switch it up and they put a Dory Jackson on Ridley, but we're not guys. Come on. Like we're not, it's Calvin Ridley. We're not worried about this either way. So we haven't had the boom just yet. You know, it hasn't been quite AJ Brown level bad, but it hasn't been exactly what you drafted him to be, which was a top five receiver either relax everyone just five players have at least 50 percent of their team's air yard share through two weeks brandon cooks tyler lockett debo samuel justin jefferson and calvin ridley don't be surprised if this is the week he absolutely balls the hell out and keep kyle pitts in that lineup too like i get it the falcons offense hasn't looked great but we've seen enough between Pitts and Ridley in those usage to continue treating them as the guys we thought they were in the uh, preseason. So like Twain was saying, if you have the friend who complains about being on time, yeah, he's the one being late to everything and they're freaking out about Ridley and Pitts, I would not be uh, worried about trying to quote unquote buy low on them. Although I would think most rational people aren't too concerned about these guys. So Dwayne, before we go to the Giants, I just got to spit one fact about them that I found uh, earlier today as I was doing some research this season. Daniel Jones, as we've talked about in the um we talked about in several pods how well daniel jones playing but this season one of the cool pff stats we have in the back end is wide receivers that are considered open or wide open so separation stats in and of themselves are a little bit fluky but i like this one because it's just showing you hey what what teams are targeting the most open or wide open wide receivers san francisco number one 61 percent that adds up we know kyle shanahan can just scheme guys open jimmy g not taking many risks 61 percent. that's great dead last the clapper, New York Giants, 33%. So, yeah, I get it. Daniel Jones, he's 0-2. But, guys, he's been playing a lot better and hasn't exactly had the easiest time doing so. So, Dwayne, talk to me about what's going on in this Giants offense because at least we got that Saquon breakout coming. Yeah, man. I Look, when I look at it, you know, and what I would love to do is adjust that number for dot, right? Because the further down yeah. the field you throw, the more That's time a good the ball's in the air, the more likely you're dealing with a safety as well the more likely you're not to be considered open. I would say you're shorter, intermediate, you're playing against zone coverage again instead of man. That probably has a lot to do with it. It's also, you know, how we grade it. But I I, I do, I feel like the separation stat, like a lot of people have just been like, oh yeah, let's just dismiss it. I do think it's still context to, to the game and context matters, but I agree with you. It's like, I think there's some ways we could think about trying to like, improve how we think about you know the separation and we're doing some really cool stuff over at pff right now behind the scenes that i can't even really you know talk about all of it but it's really around doing a better job of understanding how how well wide receivers are performing even when the ball's not being thrown to them so think more like you know what you see um you know in reception perception obviously no one can ever duplicate you know the great work that you know matt Harmon is doing but do us trying to do a better job of really 
capturing how well receivers are performing all the time, not just yep. when the ball is being thrown with them. So that's one way to deal with not just trusting um, separation, you know, too much based on when the quarterback is throwing the ball. But as far as Daniel Jones goes, man, what's impressive, you know, Ian, is the adjusted completion percentage of 74%. So for those of you that don't know what adjusted completion percentage in is, it's just removing the wide receiver drops spikes, throwaways, stuff like that. We're getting rid of all the noise essentially and just giving you, you know, the, the true completion percentage for when they intended the ball to be thrown to the receiver, tight end, running back. So Daniel Jones, what's interesting about it is his average depth of target is a 9.7. That's that's pretty good. You know, a 10 is, is high in the league. Yeah. You know, an eight is about average. A six is really crappy. Um, so he's, he's, he's up there. You know, he's doing pretty well and his adjusted completion percentage is 74% despite pushing the ball down the field. And I think pushing the ball down the field does also play like we talked about into some of the separation stuff that we're seeing the big thing that i would want to say you know if folks want to know more about barkley you can go back and listen to the sunday night show i broke everything down about barkley but essentially it's all systems go from a utilization standpoint unless you know they change their mind and say hey we tried to give him the full load didn't look right you know still not there so let's back him off they could do that right but the two data points we have are the first game looked like, okay, we'll just let's let's get him out there and just get him through a game. Not not really put him at risk. The next game looked like, okay, let's ramp up his reps, let's let him get some game action, but let's not give him the ball that much. My expectation is the third step in the process is okay, we got him out there, we're three games in. Let's maybe not a hundred percent of his old workload, but let's start, you know, turning up on the workload itself yeah. while he's on the field. And I think that's what we're going to see. But, you know, for more details, you can go back to the other pod. The big thing I want to talk about here, um, and, and we, we covered Sterling Shepard yesterday, really on the waiver wire. So Kenny Galladay is the guy that I just wanted to focus on briefly here, Ian. Um, he's another player that, look, he fell late in draft season. Why? Because he was hurt. And the chemistry was was terrible with he and Daniel Jones. Now they're arguing on the sideline. Galladay says, no, I was I was yelling at, uh, you know, Jason, Jason Garrett. Yeah. What is awesome was Jay Moy tweet or he's just he tweets how the equipment guy is just like just keep rubbing just keep rubbing he's cleaning <laughs> off he's cleaning off somebody's face mask the face shield and he's just like trying to ignore everything um it was so funny you know while galladay is like screaming at jones and he's giving him you know saying something back to him um but galladay look still 21 percent of the targets guys it went from 17 percent to 25 percent in week two and that's probably what daniel jones is saying hey dude i'm trying to get you the ball but like do your part I think we're close though here. So again, I think Galladay is a buy low right now, just based on utilization alone. He's out there 91% of the time. I'll tell you something. I would rather own Kenny Galladay right now than Chase Claypool. I like I, it. I would rather own Kenny Galladay. Look, Kenny Galladay is a good enough player and he's along the same archetype as a Chase Claypool. And he's got, he's in an offense that's running far more plays you can't really tell me Ben Roethlisberger at this point in his career and the offense that they're running is really that much better than Daniel Jones. And remember, all you need to avoid as a fantasy wide receiver are the absolute worst quarterbacks in the league. And Daniel Jones, as bad as he can be, like he's good enough that he can help a receiver put up fantasy points. So I think the day is coming for Kenny Galladay. 40% of the end zone targets, right? That's first on the team by far. Sterling Shepard has 0% of those. Um, Evan Ingram could have a little bit to say about that once he gets back. But 43% of his targets, man, coming on play action. As much as we want to bang around on Jason Garrett, you know, with his head stuck out the side of the train, smiling <laughs> at us. It's my one of my favorite memes of all time. Like you can use that for anything. Um, it's like the blank. Blanket meme. Um, but Galladay, man, he's getting the play action targets. He's getting um, third, some third and fourth down targets, but he's getting the end zone targets. He's getting the air yards. He's getting the target share. He's out there on the field. Like, this is just a matter of they've got to hit their groove. 
I really do believe that. And there's enough plays, there's enough volume. I feel better about this situation right now than I do the wide receiver three on the Steelers. Saquon Barkley, we said the workload's going to be back. We're back to rank them as a top 10 RB. Yeah, I've got him. Yes. Um, and again, I'm not completely finished for the week, but I've got him sitting right at 12 right now. Okay. Actually, I've got him sitting right at 13. He's right under the guy that I said is his last week, which is Clyde edwards <laughs> So, But I'm not done yet. I've got him in the same tier. I've got them both in the same tier, so I have to fine-tune and, and, and pick my break points because we are forced to rank and say who's an RB1 and who's an RB2 because that's just the way this job works. Falcons, league worst scoring defense. Second most yards before contact allowed per carry through two weeks. Dwayne, I'm confident you will bump Saquon ahead of Clyde before <laughs> this week is over. Next game, we got the Ravens coming off that massive Sunday night win at the Detroit Lions who could not get things done on Monday night for that one dude who had like the 16-game parlay going on and just had the Lions to win. So sucks for that guy. Hopefully you hedged. Anyway, Baltimore, seven and a half point favorites. Game total is at 50, up from 49. Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson, freaking God in fantasy football land. You guys get it. Tyson Williams looking good. He is, you know, getting the lead in this backfield. He's not pulling away from Latavius and even Devontae Freeman as much as we would like. I would not start Latavius really at this point. I do think Tyson still deserves to be in your top 36. Worst case, more likely probably top 30. So we're good with Lamar. We're good with Tyson. Mark Andrews will get back to being the guy. Let's talk Hollywood Brown, though, people, because ever since we have left him for dead, this dude has done nothing except ball the hell out. Overall, he has scored a touchdown and or surpassed 80 receiving yards in 10 straight games going back to last season. And the numbers are telling us this is not fluky. So unless you really think Lamar is just going to take a massive step back as a passer, I think we got to get back to treating Hollywood like the guy we hoped he could be. Because through two weeks, he is 10th in air yard share, 7th in target share. Like, those numbers are huge. The only players with at least 30% of their team's target share and 40% of the air yards, Debo Samuel, Brandon Cooks, Tyler Lockett, Tyreek Hill, and Hollywood freaking Brown. So Watkins has been involved too, but Brown is the number one. Until Bateman comes back and gives us any reason to believe that could change, we got to start getting Hollywood, man, at least as an upside wide receiver three, in my opinion. So credit to Lamar, career high 237 pass yards per game and 8.5 yards per attempt so far. I understand it doesn't, you know, always look the prettiest. Like he had the kind of broken coverage, like jump pass touchdown thing last week. But that's part of the offense when Lamar Jackson's under center. You can't play usual coverages against a guy that are too complicated because the second you take your eyes off him, who knows how far he's going to run it on his own. So Marquise Brown, you know, don't let last year completely blind us with what happened this year. Should we have ranked him higher in the preseason? Quite possibly. It's sure looking that way. But, you know, similar to at least Tyler Lockett, again, can't hold these down performances against the guy too long we're gonna miss out on the booms that have continued to come so a lot more start sit questions with hollywood brown i will be answering yes moving forward particularly in this great spot against a detroit lions defense that is scaring absolutely nobody i mean they have allowed now let me pull this up it's really ridiculous how bad this lions defense has been now for quite some time going back to last year they have allowed 41 points 30 31, 46, 47, 37. Okay, they get Dan Campbell. 2021 comes along. Maybe they'll get better. 41 and 35 points. So, hey, maybe they can finally keep an offense under 30. I don't think it'll be Baltimore. Lamar, Tyson, Mark, and Hollywood. Fire them up, ladies and mostly gentlemen. Now, Dwayne, 
A little bit of a step back in the usage we thought we were going to see in Detroit. It was kind of a fluky game, though. And I just want to say, as someone that had probably too much money on Jamal Williams over receiving yards, it really pissed me off that Jared Goff had to fumble the ball on Jamal's two drives in the fourth quarter. Uh, so I would say that, you know, maybe take a little grain of salt. You know, I think it would be somewhere between the week one and week two target totals for those guys. But want to get your thoughts here on this backfield because we know there's Hawkinson, but I think these running backs are going to be where a lot of people have questions. Yeah. So, uh, look, I think it's fairly close to where we were week one, but it's and we talked about this after week one. We said, look, in a game script where they're not immediately being blown out like they were against the 49ers and they came back, this game was different, right? They were really in it until they gave it away at the end. And so it was almost a a flip of what we saw in the game before. But overall, 63 percent of the snaps to Swift, 38 percent you know, to Williams, which I think is about where we're going to land. I think it'll be 60-40. You could have some weeks where it's like 57-43 because little weird things happen. Like you just named it, Ian. Like the two fumbles on a drive that cut your drive short, if they're rotating, just if they're just straight up rotating backs, you know, for some period of the game and that happens while you're out there, well, then that shows up in the snap percentages, right? Um, The thing that I look at, though, the routes. 62% of the time Swift was in a route whenever the team was passing. Only 31% for Jamal Williams. So we still know that they prefer Swift in the passing game. The running game, which I talked about last week, I said I expect in a closer game to probably be an even split versus the week before we had seen um, Swift lead that by like 7 or 8%. This Yesterday, 50% each. So they are truly in a, in a game where, you know, it's closer to the end. They're splitting that work. And then as far as the targets, right, you know, they're going to be, that's a lot of that's going to be driven, you know, by the routes. Both both backs are going to be targeted plenty. I expect Swift to lead in that department just because he's going to be out there twice as much, you know, as Jamal Williams from a passing down perspective. So um, I wouldn't freak out on either player. I think both really still carry good value. I think Swift, you know, is still a borderline RB1 right now, Ian. And I do believe by the end of the season, as long as he stays healthy, um, you know, he has a shot just because of his work in the passing game. Like he has, a, and people are going to freak out. I shouldn't even say this because social is going to use this. <laughs> and then I'm going to lose like a 2,000 followers tomorrow. Um, DeAndre Swift, like because of his usage in the passing game in a PPR format, like I like him better right now than I do Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Right. Um, I, I think he could challenge Antonio Gibson and Jonathan Taylor because they're so touchdown dependent and they're game script dependent. I like them better. They're the two better players. They are better players. Just so I'm very clear. Social team. Jonathan Taylor and Antonio Gibson are better than DeAndre Swift. <laughs> but in fantasy land, like I still I think Swift is going to be in the top 12. It's going to be hard for him to not be there because of the passing down work. You talk about it all the time in PPR formats, Ian, and in half PPR. The cheat code for running backs is what? It's targets. And DeAndre Swift is going to be there in the targets. It insulates you from bad matchups um, where you can't run the ball. It insulates you from crappy game scripts where you're getting blown out. Um, it's like the savior for running backs for multiple reasons, not just because it's worth more points when they're thrown to. It keeps them on the field no matter what. And that's what you want with your back. So with Swift, if you can, if you think there's a buy low window all of a sudden open, I mean, go for it. I, I don't know if there will be or not, but I am not down on Swift. As far as Jamal Williams goes, I think it's still, folks, the utilization that he's getting 
is still really good. I think he's slightly overperforming right now because of his week one. His standing is, is inflated a bit, but I think he belongs in that tier, um, you know, of all those backs that, you know, basically are getting like 40% of the work on their team. You know, he, he, he belongs there. Um, the one thing I didn't like with the Lions this last week, we saw uh, week one was just a ton of plays, right, and a lot of up-tempo, and they used that early in this game, and then they kind of got away from it until later in the game. And I wanted to see them continue that. Like in week one, even though they had an inflated play count because of, you know, how many plays they ran due to the way that the game went with overtime and everything at the end, you know, it was like 90 something plays this game. They ended up only running 57 and I thought they had the accelerator down early. I'd like to see them keep that going. If you could get up and be in that 65, 70 plays per week, I think Swift is easily going to be in the top 12 RBs. And I think that gives you a chance to keep Jamal Williams in the RB3 mix. Oh, one other player I have to mention, because one of your best tweets I ever saw from you, and you do a lot of good ones. You crack me up all the time, but I think last year was after week one. It was like, and there was 12 targets to something called a Cephas. <laughs> and dude, Quintez Cephas stood out to me last week, um, and I put him in the utilization report, but it was more of a film report on that one because I, you know, I try to go back like you and watch every game, but it's like you said, you can't catch every play all the time, but that game, for whatever reason, when Cephas was on the field, like I was super dialed in um, and watching everything he was doing, and I was like, man, like after Hawkinson, like this guy is the best guy on the field right now for the lions. You know, you've got the running backs, of course, and he looks really good again. You know, he was out there for 90% of the routes, uh, had 20% of the targets. Um, Goff was looking for him in the end zone, man. He nearly pulled down a great one-handed oh catch God, for a man. touchdown in the first quarter. My thought is lions, you suck. You know what Tyrell <laughs> Williams is. Sorry, Tyrell Williams. I know you got unfortunate. You had the concussion. No, no ill wishes towards you. Let's see what we have in Cephas. Let this guy play. I mean, he looks he looks exciting to me. Like, and he gives you he gives you some attitude. He gives you some go up and get it. You know, that's something you're not getting with Tyrell Williams. You know, or maybe just have him and Williams out there together. I mean, Williams <laughs> can stretch the field and let you know Cephas work that the intermediate stuff and make those hot, those contested catches that you need. I thought he looked really good. If any of you listening have no idea who Quintez Cephas still is, he had that insane training camp picture where he's like elevated seemingly 10 feet above the ground, <laughs> just making the very one-handed catch essentially that he almost came down with. I did find it funny because if you're still listening to the normal Monday night broadcast, what are you doing, people? Go over and listen to Peyton and Eli shooting the shit on ESPN2. But after he missed that... Like a typical quarterback, Eli doesn't give him any credit for almost making like the second best catch we've seen behind Beckham. He goes, all these wide receivers, he says, just want to go up with one hand. Go up there with two. Like, shut, shut up, Eli. That was incredible, even though he didn't come down with it. So touchdown was blown coverage. But the big play that got him in that position to score a touchdown was him just, you know, being a boss and beating Kevin King deep. So Quintus Cephas, if there is going to be an answer to which wide receiver to roster in Detroit, very well could be him. Dolphins at the Raiders. We got Las Vegas sitting as four-point favorites. You're undefeated Las Vegas Raiders, 45.5 point game total. So I will start things off with the Dolphins. Hopefully, it's Will Fuller week. He missed last week due to a personal issue. We hope everything is going on fine in Fuller's family and with his life. And apparently, he's feeling good and he's coming back. And we are expecting him to play this week for the first time since he ripped the hearts out of the Lions on Thanksgiving last year. And a game that Duke Johnson was also pretty good in, just throwing that out there. But anyway, 
With this matchup, people, I think we pretty much got to fade all the Dolphins. We are talking about the league's single worst scoring offense at this point. They have scored 17 points in two games. Tua with the rib injury. We'll see if he can play. If not, Jacoby Brissett will be in there. Jacoby isn't as bad as he was last week. I'm not expecting the Dolphins to go scoreless every single game without Tua. But this isn't an easy matchup. These are not your same old Raiders, people. Derek Carr, he has gotten so much better over the past two years that I'll shout out Mike Renner for the third time on this podcast. You can check out his article about why John Gruden and the Raiders have really started to embrace a Chiefs mentality in their offense. And because of that, Carr has no longer become this, you know, captain checkdown meme like the it wasn't just me like a lot of people are blocked from Derek Carr by doing the exact same thing making fun of him over the years he has now progressed and become really a downfield oriented quarterback for large portions of games and seasons so it's been great to see with that but the other big difference has been this Raiders defense because since Carr got drafted in 2014 this unit was 20th or worse in points per game allowed every single season right now sitting pretty at 10th and a big reason why is Max Crosby cool stat from PFF's own Jared Evan. Max Crosby has 19 total pressures through week two. That is the most by a defender through the first two games of a season in our entire database, which goes back to 2006. So great stuff from Crosby. And yeah, people, we just can't really play anyone from the Dolphins this week because it's a tough matchup. We don't know what's going on under center. Miles Gaskin, I guess, is a... RB3 at this point is getting most of the pass down work. We're seeing the snaps move in a slightly positive direction, but it's still not the sort of role he was being drafted to be earlier in the summer. And then a wide receiver, like we just don't know who's going to lose out once Fuller's in the lineup. Is it going to be Parker? Is it going to be Waddle? I'm a little nervous. It could be Waddle. That's the one that takes a step back. He kind of goes in that Albert Wilson, more part-time role. We don't know. So if you can avoid starting any Dolphins this week, that would be my recommendation. So Dwayne, let's talk about the Raiders, man. This is exciting because maybe the running back room, not so much, but at least Derek Carr in his passing game, putting up some numbers. Yeah, man. I mean, I thought you teed it up really well. Um, so if you look at the Raiders this year, um, 51% of their plays have come when the game was close. And so when you look at new utilization report, when I say close game, that means within three points, right? Um, you could expand it to seven, like there's different ways you could do it. But for the sake of this, I say, if it's within three, it's close. Trailing script is four points or more. Lead script is, you know, four points or more. Meaning you gotta have a touchdown um, in the trail, right? Or you're leading um, enough that the opposing team has to have a touchdown. You know, they can't tie it with a field goal. Um, so when you look at the Raiders, 51% of their plays have come in that close scenario and they're throwing the ball 71% of the time. Not something that you've traditionally seen from Gruden offenses. So I think this goes right along with what you're talking about with the work that Renner's put out there, which I also read is really great stuff. You guys need to go yep. check it out. Um, trail pass plays, 78%. And while that may sound like, okay, great, whatever, everybody throws when they're trailing, not Gruden. <laughs> He hasn't traditionally. He has actually, over the last several years, like he's been more conservative than that. But now they're basically just saying, boom, let's just let it go. Now, they haven't led a lot this year. Only 11% of their plays have come with a lead greater than three points. Um, so they are definitely not throwing the ball a ton there, but it's a very small sample. You know, they're only throwing 41% of the time. So I do think Gruden, if you get up by enough, or if he thinks he needs to use the four-minute offense, I think that's still going to be you know in the wheelhouse. But I mean, 70-30 is their pass-to-run split for the season. Like that's very aggressive for a Gruden team. You're much more um, used to seeing like a 60-40. And when I say that, be, those are not just attempts. Those are you drop back to pass. You could have been sacked. You could have you know scrambled. So those count as pass plays. But 70-30, 
that's that's aggressive. Like that's that's one of the highest in the league. And then if you look at Derek Carr, it's like you said, you already really outlined it. He's pushing the ball down the field. His average depth of target is 9.5 this year, getting the ball out in 2.6 seconds. Adjusted completion percentage is 79% with that, with that ADOT. I mean, he's really working it. Um, they're not using play action that much, which is funny. Um, you know, Derek Carr, you know, I did a study on this like way back before I even went to PFF. He doesn't like turning his back to the defense. He's talked about it, and he's not really been that good with play action. But they figured out how to make the deep passing game work without utilizing play action. I mean, they're one, they use play action. I would. I don't have this straight in front of me. My guess is that this is the least in the league. Only I nine, believe it is. Nine percent. Nine percent is not very much. Typically, somebody pushing the ball with these shots, you'll see their play action number up at you know twenty five percent, thirty percent. Now, a lot of play actions attacking the middle of the field behind linebackers in front of safeties. It's not all like what people used to think. Oh, play action and just hit, you know heave it deep to Alvin Harper. That's going way back for Cowboys. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm excited about him. Um, and what does that lead to? Well, hopefully something for the receivers. <laughs> we talked about uh, Edwards and Ruggs yesterday, so you guys can go back and listen to that in the waiver wire. If you want more details on them, I also fully detailed both players, got all their information for the last two weeks and where they sit for the season, what their trends look like in the utilization report. Um, but hat tip, you'll see it in the artwork. Brian Edwards is on the cover, so you guys can go check that out. Next up, we got the Jets at the Broncos. Denver sitting as 11 and a half point favorites. Very little respect being given to Zach Wilson and maybe deservingly so. Game total at 41 and a half. So second straight matchup where I am telling you not to play anybody from this offense if you can help it. See, Dwayne, all comes back around. You were complaining like no other in the first 15 minutes of the pod. Now here we are. So only Miami with 17 points has scored fewer than the Jets. 20 freaking points through two weeks. Hey, I'm not saying this is all on the Jets. The Panthers defense looks like one of the most, you know, just turn, turned around units in the league right now, you know, from 2020 to 2021. Uh, so they played them. Then they had to go deal with the Patriots. You know, Bill Belichick notoriously tough on rookie quarterbacks. The problem is the Broncos are one of these teams also that we need to worry about because Vic Fangio's scheme seems to be also a nightmare for young quarterbacks to deal with. And they're also just playing very good football in their own right. So it's good that it seems like the committee and running back is shrinking down to two. Tevin Coleman seems to be on his way out. More Michael Carter, Ty Johnson. I don't expect Corey Davis to be as bad as he was last week moving forward. But at the same time, I think Davis right now, low end wide receiver three, probably at best. Elijah Moore, probably kind of in that wide receiver four tier. And that's a little bit, you know, optimistic, I think, because Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims, these guys could be back in the picture. And we're almost looking at a situation that could be five or six receivers, not evenly rotating, but at least doing so enough to kind of take away each other's upsides. So Zach Wilson and company, you know, you see the flashes of the dude and he's, it's, he's two starts into his career. We're not saying the guy is going to suck for the next 10 years or anything like that, but at least for week three people, let's keep those jets out of the fantasy lineup. So Dwayne the Broncos, we actually got some more fun to talk about though. Colin Sutton is healthy, man. And I love it. Yeah, man. Looked really, really good last week. Um, totally dominated every aspect of, of you know, the passing game. 35% of the targets, 38% targets per route run. 
Average depth of target of 21.2. Look at Teddy back here uncorking bombs. <laughs> 68% of the air yards, 100% of the end zone targets, 30% of the third and fourth down targets, 25% of your targets coming on play action. You know who loves Cortland Sutton? Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater yeah. really loves Cortland Sutton. So, yeah, you guys, if you got if you got Cortland, he's a wide receiver too. You know, I mean, if, if you want to put him as a back-end wide receiver two, you know, you, or you think he's a low-end wide receiver three, I really don't care. He, he's right there in that mix. But I think as long as Jerry Judy's out, out. like you have these explosion opportunities every week so super happy that man i've been higher on i was higher on sutton and hollywood i think than most people in the industry last week i don't put my rankings into fantasy pros because i really don't and i have lots of respect for people that do but i just i'm not like i don't play that game my my goal really is to try to just win and not worry help you win and make the bold calls you need to make and not really worry about trying to you know please you know the computer the consensus yeah. numbers so I've, 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 I've been much less nice than you about their rankings uh, on this podcast before so i think you uh i think you put it i think you put it well yeah and i respect people that do it and they're really good at it we have somebody from our own team and nathan yankee that like is up there in accuracy and i do believe that it is a skill set um and not everybody can do it and obviously you have to be good at being able to make that work there's a lot of actually there's a lot of really good people in the league that or out there in fantasy that I respect that are really good at those. But what I find that I really respect about them is when I engage with them on Twitter, like how much they know about the offense, how much they know about how the balls are distributed in the offense, all those sort of things. So there are some really sharp people that are, that are playing that, doing that really well and still able to give good advice and also score well in that. I don't feel like I'm there yet. Like my thought would be, I don't even want to worry about that. I just want to, I want to give you guys the information I think you need and not feel like I have to be bound to that in any way. And maybe I'll figure out like what that balance looks like and try it next year. We'll see. But the other thing real quick with the Broncos, I already wasted way too much time on that. Um, <laughs> Javonta Williams guys, look, you're going to use him this week. Um, most likely if you've got him sitting there because you got a great matchup where they're favored by 11 points. Um, the Broncos are, are implied for 25.75. Well, at least that's what I got on my latest pool. Ian, you may have something a little different, but good running back matchup from a standpoint of the offensive line, slightly below average on strength of schedule. But again, that, you know, I would weight things a little more towards how bad the Jets have looked here recently um, than what our algorithm you know, uses today for PFF. So um, Javante, you can use, but here's the thing. You, you really don't want to be using him very much moving forward. Like you, you're really going to have to pick your, pick your spots until something changes. When you look at it at first glance, it looks like, oh my gosh, Javante Williams, he's splitting everything evenly with Melvin Gordon. And, and if you were to look at rushing attempts on the season, um, you would be right. You know, and if you look at last week, 45% to each one. And on the season, 50% of the attempts to Javante, 44% to Melvin Gordon. Here's the problem. He's not out there um, on the short down and distance. What does that typically mean? Inside the five, when you get a chance to score the touchdown, those could very well be going to Melvin Gordon. We haven't seen a ton of inside the five snaps for the Broncos yet this year. So we don't know for sure, but short down and distance is going to Melvin Gordon um, 60% versus 40%. Long down and distance, they're kind of splitting, but the two-minute offense is really rotating more over to Melvin Gordon. So unless until we see that tide change and we see it shift, Really, Gordon is getting to split the carries plus getting the bigger share of the two things that give you the most upside and fantasy points. The receptions as well as the opportunity to score touchdowns. And Javante, as good as he's looked, he's not getting that right now. This week, I give, I'm give i giving my blessing. He needs to be an RB3 um, because of the matchup. But we're going to have to be more careful with Javante Williams moving forward until we see 
how this backfield may start to shape up or change, or maybe you get, maybe you get, you know, Gordon gets nicked up, something like that. Lots of things can happen during the season. So it's not a guy you want to drop or you want to dump. You just want to try to get him out of the starting lineup if you can. One day I dream of a point per broken tackle league, and Javante would be crushing in that through two weeks. Only he and Nick and Harris. <laughs> People, only Nick Chubb has a higher rate of forced missed tackles than Javante Williams. And it's not a volume thing. Javante actually has a has one more carry than Nick Chubb on the season. So he has been as advertised, but the usage hasn't quite been there just yet. We see this with rookies. Their role expands as the year goes on. Javante is doing the right things. Hopefully expands. Right now, though, there's not a ton of reason to believe that's going to be imminent at least for week three. Four more matchups, everybody. We got a good one on tap here. Buccaneers at the Rams. Rams are down to a one-point favorite, down from two. I was honestly kind of surprised to see they were favored at all. Uh, game total is up to 56 from 54. So highlight of the Manning stream that I referenced before last night was they had Rob Gronkowski on, and Gronk just became so uninterested in what was going on quickly. But he did give a fun story uh, early on where he said that fellow Bucks tight end Cameron Brait asked Gronk, do you ever watch film? And Gronk's response was, no, I don't. I just run by guys. If I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good. And he says that he knows Brady watches a lot of film. So he'll tell Tom to let him know if there's like anything <laughs> important. So just classic Gronk. Best tight end of all time uh, isn't even taking extra time to watch film. So Kings stay Kings. Gronk is the epitome of that. But let's talk about this passing game because as much as, you know, I would love to talk about why uh, Leonard Fournette is going to play a little bit more than Rojo, but still not be utilized. Tom Brady wants to throw 80 touchdowns this year. As good as this Buccaneers offense is, and again, they have scored 30 plus in, I believe, nine straight games. No other offense has more than two of those straight games. Like, they don't have a rush attempt inside the five-yard line this season because I don't know if Bruce Arians calls a run and Brady just says, screw that, I'm going to throw it to Mike Evans or Gronk or what's going on. Either way, they get inside the five-yard line. Brady wants that touchdown. But, guys, there's only one ball to go around. And when we have Gronk being this involved, we see this sort of boomer bust sort of scoring emerging from guys that we know are capable of so much more. In week one, Mike Evans was the wide receiver 79. AB was the wide receiver 12. In week two, Evans was the wide receiver 5. AB was the wide receiver 90. The one measure of consistency we really have, other than Gronk, is Chris Goblin turned in wide receiver 8 and wide receiver 26 performances. And honestly, Dwayne, that's kind of how, kind of how I expect this to continue going. Goblin's going to be the most consistent guy. I would expect him to lead this receiving room and probably total fantasy points when it's all said and done. Evans, I'll take him over AB more weeks and not, but they're both going to probably get theirs uh, on a week-to-week basis. So just something to keep in mind. It's why these guys are probably all going to be in the wide receiver two range for most of the year, as opposed to the wide receiver ones that we know their talents deserve. My question for you, Dwayne, with Gronk, all the, all the guy does is score touchdowns. He's got three freaking straight games with two of them. Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, TJ Hawkinson, are we there? Is Gronk the tight end four at this point? With all due respect to Pitts, Kittle, and Andrews, I mean... Are we there? No, I'm leaving him no. below those. I, I think, I think, just for the reasons you just said, I think we're going to get to the weeks where he's the odd player out. You know, okay. Um, and look, last week was only in a route sixty percent of the time. Yes, getting targeted when he's out there, but you know, it's not like <clears throat> he was getting a ton of targets. And he did. He is. He was touchdown dependent. And if you watch that game, like the Falcons basically ignored him. It was just kind of like, oh, there's Gronk. Let's bold see strategy, happens. Cotton. Yeah, bold strategy, Cotton. You can't, and I get it. You're dealing with the Bucks. You can't. You're gonna have to figure out who are you gonna ignore, 
And if a lot of teams say, well, we think that's Gronk, and I can understand that reasoning because he's also the least likely to run by you, right? But once you get inside the 10-yard line, like you got to pay a lot more attention to Gronk. So we'll have to see. I, I think he's definitely in the top eight, <clears throat> nine tight ends. If you took him late, you're you're elated with it. You just keep plugging him in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you want to put him in the range with Pitts and if you want to put him in the range, um, you know, right there with Higby and these other guys, even though he's not getting the routes, but he's getting the touchdowns, I think that's fine. I, I, I just trust... and. It's a great offense, right? That's what's offsetting potentially any playing time issues that he has is you're playing in a great offense that probably is going to lead the league in touchdown passes. And, and that's okay. When you when you know it's someone dependable like Brady, right, and it's not fluky, and you think you really do have a shot at three to five touchdown passes pretty much every game, which is typically within the range, then that's fine for a player like Gronk. So I think putting him right there around where you said is fine, but I would still rather own Kittle. I'd still rather own um, Kelsey, Waller, Hawkinson, um, I, I still would lean to Pitts um, and Andrews, and then I would put him right there with Higby and above Fant and those guys. But again, it, it's pretty tight there in that in that little group. So that seems to be the tier. Now let's talk some Rams here. We've had. Not a ton of news on the situation. Dwayne and I did the waiver pod before we found out the update on Daryl Henderson, which isn't a ton. He is suffering from a rib cartridge injury. The team is reportedly hopeful he'll be ready for Sunday. People, if you've listened to Sean McVay over the years, I mean, him being hopeful about a guy could very well mean that guy's about to miss a month straight. So this is the same injury that Cam Akers had last year. That sidelined him for multiple weeks. So... I would probably guess, gun to my head, that Henderson doesn't play this week, which would set up Sonny Michelle for a bigger role. But unfortunately, Dwayne, he's getting the freaking like worst case scenario against the Buccaneers juggernaut of a front seven. Yeah. Michelle, if Henderson's out, is a mid to low end RB2 because of the matchup this week. It's the yeah. same thing we would have given Henderson. Um, you know, in this particular matchup, you know, yeah. you're going to be looking for, you want them to, the good news is you play on a good offense and there's a chance you punch something in, you know, down inside the five yard line. And I would expect a lot of that work to go to Sony. So that's what you're looking for. Um, the big thing here is, man, this is the game of the week. In my opinion, I cannot yeah. wait for this game. Um, just because Stafford has just been lights out, man, you know, this offense hasn't been forced to go at any sort of warp speed. Like we're used to seeing, um, with a Sean McVay offense right now. Um, you know, there it's this it's the second highest highest pff graded offense through two weeks at 83.2 averaging 11.1 yards per pass attempt um and if you look at the the plays per minute you know 22nd typically when you look at that stat for mcveigh he's like in the top five but they just haven't had to do that and they've been super efficient they just score like it's like oh five plays touchdown you know um so they're 26th in time of possession which is kind of limiting like the upside of a lot of volume despite cooper cup getting you know plenty of volume so when you look at the receivers though um Robert Woods really did make a nice comeback from a utilization perspective this last week. Um, the week before, he had been at 68% of the routes. So he must have just been dealing with it. He must have been sick or been dinged in that game, and we just weren't told anything. To your point with McVay, we don't all, everything's often veiled. <laughs> but this last week, 97% of the routes, 29% of the targets, 26% target per route run, 38% of the air yards. So the narrative you're hearing on Twitter right now is, oh, my God, Cooper Cup, they forgot about Robert Woods. No, they actually didn't. Cooper Cup, yes, he is. He's the number one on the team, but Robert Woods is really not that far behind. And we're eventually going to get a game in where it's going to flip, and it's going to yeah. be a team. Remember, and I've talked about this forever, um, and it's something I've studied and looked at. And there's a lot of truth to it. Like the coaches are typically looking back at the last three games, 
Yeah. So you've got two games in the books. The, what, what do you think is one of going to be the number one things that the Bucs are probably going to try to do this week? You're going to see the, one of the first teams really now starting to adapt to this offense and say, okay, what do we do about Cooper Cup? What happens then? Robert Woods, Woods is going to be open. Let's go. You know, so it's going to happen, folks. It's going to happen with all these offenses that are really good that we're seeing lean one way. It's going to happen with Metcalf versus Lockett. It's it's going to – the pendulum is going to swing back and forth throughout the season because – the way a coach's process works, a lot of it really is spent on the last three to four weeks trying to figure out, okay, how do we stop this offense we're facing? They can't watch 20 games of film. It's not possible. They grind every minute of those three to four games. And so that's just something to keep in mind. So if you can buy Rob Woods low, Bobby Trees, go get it, get it done. Why would I ever say Rob? Like if you're going to say any nickname for, <laughs> for Robert Woods, it's Bobby Trees. So um, I like both players. Can't wait to see this matchup. Um, it's a little, it's, it's tough on the wide receiver strength of schedule, but when you've got a 50 55.5 total and your you know implied points are 27.25 um and it's in a game where the spread's at a one right now oh man like i'm all over this but everyone else will be in dfs pretty sure so it's not going to be a big dfs play it's probably more of a fade in that respect but just as far as a game to watch and if you have season-long lineups you know don't be afraid of robert woods this weekend don't be scared off get him into your lineup yeah, Bobby Trees, for my money, best nickname at the wide receiver position, maybe as a whole in football. I, something about the Bobby, man. There's a, a UFC fighter, Robert Whitaker. He was the middleweight champ for a while, lost his belt to Israel Adesanya. He's getting another chance. Bobby Knuckles, another just fantastic <laughs> nickname out there. But you mentioned before Metcalf and Lockett. We are moving on to that game. Thank you, NFL. We got four 4 o'clock games. They basically said, okay, Jets, Broncos, Dolphins, Raiders. You know, you guys can put those. Uh, you, you'll catch a few snaps on red zone. We got Buccaneers, Rams, and Seahawks, Vikings to really focus on. So Seattle sitting as two-point favorites up from uh, opening at one point. Game total week high, 56. I guess they are tied with the Buccaneers, Rams now. But points, points, points. You said it, Dwayne. It's going to swing back to Metcalf. Fantastic. Lockett has had huge weeks, people. Everything's fine. Metcalf is going to get his. The important thing, just like last year, just like Russ has really done throughout his career when he has two great receivers, he is condensing everything so much around these guys. I went through and took every team's top two leaders in target share and air yard share to see which teammates had the highest combined share. Spoiler, Lockett and Metcalf for both. 63% combined target share, 87% combined air yard share. It's like Freddie Swain got that one massive broken coverage touchdown last week. And if it wasn't for that, I think we'd be over 90. So when Russ is throwing downfield, either Lockett or Metcalf are on the other end of that every single time. I mean, that 87% is ridiculous, people. The Cowboys are number two at 76%. Steelers are there as well. And again, it's 11% difference. So don't panic on Metcalf. Keep starting Lockett. Like, if anything, we were probably... Who was the example we were talking about before? We had another pair of receivers where we just talked about needing to scrunch it. But that's all it is. We have Metcalf more as like the wide receiver six or seven in the preseason. Lockett was more of a low-end wide receiver two. We got to scrunch that up and get both of these guys more on that wide receiver one borderline, if not both in the top 10 or 12, particularly in this spot where Russ could be forced to cook a bit more than usual. So not expecting Patrick Peterson in the shadow. I don't think it matters either way. Both these guys can beat this version of Patrick Peterson all day long the one interesting thing is man like there is this uh storyline going out that peterson as recently as last year people were worried about playing dk metcalf against patrick peterson because we had that first game where lockett went for 200 plus three touchdowns and metcalf didn't get anything going 
But when you look at Metcalf's games, he had like a week 17 game against the 49ers last year where he actually had a pretty bad game. Other than that, though, when he gets quote unquote shut down by Ramsey and Peterson, it's not like he's like going two catches on 10 targets. Like Russ just hasn't been throwing him the ball. So the Vikings are not using Pierce in the shadow. So I don't think that Russ will refrain from not targeting uh, Metcalf, basically, because I don't think there's any concern about Peterson versus Metcalf. It's only if Russ still remembers Peterson as being a better cornerback than he is in present day. I mean, look at their last matchup, man. If someone out there really still thinks Peterson can give Metcalf problems, he ran that like out and up stop route, caught the ball, and then put Peterson in the dirt after the catch. Like nobody can guard. Once I saw DK Metcalf torch Stefan Gilmore for a 60 yard touchdown, that was the last time I thought that anyone really has a great chance at guarding him. And I know Jalen Ramsey has gotten the best of him, but hey, the last time they faced off, I think Metcalf finished that game with 90 yards and two touchdowns. I'm not saying they came against Ramsey, but that's my point, people. Even in his alleged kryptonite matchup against Jalen Ramsey, Metcalf still has two touchdown upside. So keep going the well with these guys. We're feeling good about Chris Carson in this game total. Dwayne and I mentioned on you know our post-game pod how, okay, it wasn't great. Carson's pass down work went away a little bit, but we got a 56-point game total. Dude's got multi-touchdown upside. Make sure you get him in your top 15, top 16 running backs at worst. Now, Dwayne, we got a similar passing game, I think, to an extent with Jefferson and Thielen. You just said, and basically almost apply it over here, minus like the magic of Russell Wilson. (laughs) But yes, man, go off. (laughs) Yeah, man. So um, honestly, I can keep this pretty short because it is pretty. It is almost just you know an exact replica of what you just talked (laughs) about. But if you look at Jefferson and you look at Thielen, both of them, um, they've got top twelve cornerback matchups for the week. Um, They've got you know top. 12 strength of top 10 strength of schedule for the week. You've got a big point total. You've got big implied points. Um, you got a game that looks like it's going to be competitive. Like it's just all systems go for both of these receivers. Both of them are going to be in my top 16 um, for the week, along with the two from the Seahawks, along with everybody from the Rams and everybody from the, <laughs> like the whole top, like 16, it's going to be like Rams, um, Minnesota, it's going to be the Bucks, and it's going to be, um, you know, whoever else we were just talking about. Sorry, but it's going to, it's going to be crammed with all those guys. So there, there's really nothing else to have to say. It, it was nice last week for some of you. I know I got some DMS about Justin Jefferson, people really scared. Um, even, even though like, that's the thing you gotta remember guys, he had 20% of the targets week one. That's not bad. It's not bad. Like, you don't freak out, um, you know, about a 20% target share. That's good. Yeah, we love the 30s. We love the 40s. But that's involved. That means one out of every five times the quarterback drops back to throw, they're trying to find this particular player. Last week, it went up to 31%. Now in the season, it's 24% of the targets to Jefferson, 22% of the targets to Thielen. Both are going to be heavily involved. Really, behind them, you've got, you know, a bunch of guys that are just going to sprinkle in. you got Osborne. you got Conklin. It's not like these guys are going to demand a lot. This offense is going to funnel through these two players plus Dalvin Cook waiting to see a practice report we'll see how Cook's ankle looks he ended up finishing that game so hopefully it wasn't just an adrenaline thing getting him through the end we want to have Dalvin Cook healthy for this matchup but just keep an eye on it and we'll come back and we'll hit that on Friday but yeah these are two receivers that will both be in my top 16 for lot their locks in my top 20 right now I've got them both sitting aside my top 16. 100 percent before we move on to sunday night and monday night football though people week two of football is in the books and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl to kick off another action-packed week DraftKings is giving new customers 150 dollars instantly when they bet one dollar on any football game listen up because you don't want to miss this head to DraftKings sportsbook app now and place a 
a bet of $1 on any week three game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. When you place a $1 bet on any football game, that's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer or strict supply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And also, everyone, the Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Plan to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. So team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Sunday night football, we got the Packers at the 49ers. San Fran sitting as three and a half point favorites. Game total up to 49, down from or up from 48. So Aaron, Mr. Four Touchdowns Jones, 69% snaps, and it wasn't even needed down the stretch. I mean, this could have been 75-80% in a competitive format. So for all of us, and by us, I mean at least me, that have Anchor RB, zero RB teams with A.J. Dillon sitting in that RB2 or 3 spot. Not looking too great, Bob, at least through a couple <laughs> weeks. So 17 carries, 6 targets, 4 Jones, A.J. Dillon just 5 carries and 1 target. So that's rough. For Dillon, great for Jones. I mean, only Devontae Adams has more receptions than Jones on the Packers this season. That's the way it should be, man. I mean, the whole offseason, I believe you had Jones as the RB5. I did at one point. I got a little scared. Yeah, okay. Four. RB4. Screw me. Uh, I had Jones RB5 at one point. Bumped down a little bit during the hoopla. I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I was fading the man. I think he was my RB6. You faded him. So. Look at you fading him so hard. <laughs> Ian the fader hard hits, as they say. But yes, people, I think at this point, it's Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, and Aaron Jones. And we can even maybe talk about Jones having an extra spot or two. So we're taking, we're putting Aaron Jones ahead of Najee, ahead of Zeke, ahead of Mixon. He's got that receiving work that, again, targets historically were 2.7 amounts uh, per, per same with the carry. Yeah, Aaron Jones, all signs pointing up it's great I'm, I'm running out of metaphors as we hit the 90 minute point of this uh pod but Dwayne let's talk some 49ers now yeah man um the 49ers looking at this 50 percent pass 50 percent run too bad there isn't any running backs to give all of this running work too like we can't get it figured out so we'll have to see what happens still monitoring the injuries you, know, you got mitchell with a shoulder issue hopefully it was a stinger type thing and he can play this week um you you're definitely not going to have to michael hasty with the high ankle sprain and we'll have to see what happens with sermon and the concussion protocol but the 49ers obviously are signing every back they can that the ravens haven't already grabbed right off of the street all of those players are now on the 49ers um so i'm just it's a wait and see approach you know with this particular backfield so we'll have to come back and visit their running backs um on friday so i'm not going to try to yeah. spend a lot of time on them today but the big thing here right is really just Debo samuel and brandon Ayuk. um brandon Ayuk is he's he's pretty much dead um folks right now he cannot be in your lineups period get him out of your lineups and if somebody's telling you no you got to do it because you drafted him, it doesn't matter we need to see a data point there are enough receivers out there there's enough decent things that you could have picked up on the wire in the last couple of weeks hopefully you've you've found some way to fill that hole because you just do not want brandon Ayuk out there um you know his routes are not even getting to 60 percent 
Um, and that's on an offense that throws the ball only 50% of the time. That does not leave you with a very big margin of error. That means that he essentially has to score a touchdown to be able to give you anything. Now, next week, we come back, and he's in a route 90% of the time. Okay, great. We'll make the adjustment then. There's no reason to force it right now. There's something else that you can find to put into your lineup besides uh, Brandon Ayuk. Now, I know some of you are going to screenshot me and DM me, and you're going to show me what your roster looks like, and I'm going to have to say, fine, start Brandon Ayuk, because <laughs> that always happens. But for the most part, you should be able to find something. Um, deep Man, this is Debo Samuel's show. Isn't this amazing, Ian? Like it's uh, Now, he he's going to be playing against the Packers, so we could see some shadow. Um, we may not see shadow. But I don't I, think so. I don't what, think so. I, I don't either. But what I love about Debo is even when we're – you know, with the Niners, there's a lot of motion. There's a lot of keeping guys off the line of scrimmage. There's plenty of work as far as creating the screens, the jets, all that kind of stuff. There's, if you, as, as bad as it sucks to be in the doghouse with Kyle Shanahan, when you're in his good graces and he is designing the offense around you, it is a thing of beauty. And look, that's what you have with Debo Samuel right now. He is a wide receiver one every week moving forward until Brandon Ayuk, if Brandon Ayuk can manage to get back on the field and force more than a committee at the other spot. And I do believe George Kittle, this is going to be a nice spot for him as well. Um, Kittle, and, and here's the thing, you know, when you start looking at Kittle, the things you want are there. Yeah, week one, he blocked more, but they they were leading by so much at halftime against the Lions in that week one due to some turnovers and things that really broke their way. He only had 13% of the targets this last week, but he was in a route 88% of the time. You guys don't need me to tell you George Kittle is good at football. He's really good at football. He's a mismatch against nearly every linebacker, every safety in the league. His time is coming. Great buy low candidate. I'm not afraid of George Kittle at all. He's going to be in my top three tight ends this week. Whenever I put out my rankings and my tiers, he's going to be up there again. And I think you got, you got to use him. You got to get him out there. His targets are going to come. Um, so Debo, Kittle, funnel offense. We'll hit the running backs on Friday. Hundred percent. Yeah, the the Kittle man. Like we were talking about point per block uh, leagues earlier for <laughs> AJ Brown uh, at Brandon Thorne NFL, who uh, does a lot of great stuff all around the industry. Maybe most notably, established the run at Brandon Thorne NFL. Just put together two clips of Kittle just pancaking fools in that last game. Like he is going to have the most absurd blocking highlight reel of any tight end this year. And oh, by the way, he's also just one of the most gifted receivers. So that's why when I was killing time this summer trying to figure out, hey, you know. If Space Jam situation comes up. Earth needs to put a team out there. Who do we want at tight end? It's George Kittle. All else equal. If that dude is healthy and ready to go. Hey, Kittle, other... maybe miss one block so you can run one. <laughs> even a little, a few other routes. <laughs> quit, uh, quit tempting Kyle so damn much, man. But let's also keep in mind, man, Kyle Shanahan owns the Packers. Over the past five years, they've faced off uh, six times. And they have scored 33, 44. 30, 37, 37, and most recently 17 points. And you might say, hey, Ian, why aren't we putting more weight behind a 17-point effort? That was when the entire wide receiver room had COVID, and Kyle still found a way to get Richie freaking James nine catches for 184 yards and a score. So if Richie did that last year, Look out for Debo Samuel, people. But yeah, Jair Alexander has not shadowed since week seven last year. He continues to spend the overwhelming majority of his time at left cornerback. So outside of a high leverage snap here or there, wouldn't worry about it. And like you said, Dwayne, so much of Debo, they are opening it up this year, but so much of his game is just almost like a running back route tree anyway. So he's not exactly the type of guy you can effectively shadow to begin with. We have reached the final game. Monday Night Football. 
Pretty, pretty good looking matchup here. Eagles at the Cowboys. Dallas sitting as four point favorites. Game total at 51 and a half. I loved what I saw from Jalen Hurts last week. It was a down week for him and he was still the QB 10. Why? Because rushing yards for QBs are a freaking cheat code in this game. I think at this point, he could be the QB four on the week. Kyler, Mahomes, Lamar. Those are the only guys for sure. I could see Russell Wilson ahead of him in this potential shootout, but Dak isn't running. Josh is struggling a little bit. I think I'm pretty comfortable going Jalen Hurts as QB4, and you should be too. And hey, we saw him hit the deep ball. Like that was the concern after week one. It was like, could the Falcons just be this bad? It was one kind of screen after another. He had a nice touchdown to Goddard, but we didn't know if he had actually maybe improved a little bit as a passer. He had the 91-yard throw to Quez Watkins, and even more impressive was a dime down the sideline to Jalen Rager. Unfortunately, Rager let the uh, defender uh, push him out of bounds a little bit, so the touchdown got overturned because of that. But again, not one, but two beautiful downfield throws from Hurts. Excited to see what he can keep doing. And I'm not sure if it's going to be this week, but one of these weeks, man, it will be the Devontae Smith breakout show. He had the single largest difference last week in terms of receiving yards versus air yards. 149 yard difference between those two things. As Josh Hernsmeyer has made a career with this sort of, you know, an Analysis and the godfather of air yards, like this just screams positive regression, people. So maybe he catches the Trayvon Dig shadow. I mean, he's been awesome this year, doing a great job limiting Mike Evans in week one. And then Keenan Allen in week two. I mean, talk about really going between different player types. I know Keenan got 100 yards, but like he had that 140, 45-yard catch down the sideline where I believe Trayvon like even tipped it and Keenan just still happened to come down with it. So I wouldn't be shocked if Trayvon just is this good and he makes Devontae work for it. But man, you know, we said this after week one. If there is a number one receiver in Philly and it is Devontae Smith. Don't let the walk-ins, you know, big player two fool you. Don't let the Jalen Rager splash play here or there fool you. Devontae Smith, we're not shoving him too far up the ranks yet, but borderline wide receiver two, upside wide receiver three at the absolute worst. Most start sick questions with Devontae. I will be saying yes this week. Dwayne, you got your Cowboys, man. Go off. Yeah. What yeah. we got? Those Diggs boys are pretty good, huh? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> it doesn't matter. What, who could really have, have seen that coming? Who could have seen that coming? Yeah. Yeah. There's some good genes running through that blood. So, um, yeah, as far as the Cowboys go, just one quick note. This was the first script where we've seen the Cowboys actually get to play with a lead of three points or greater going all the way back to the beginning of the year with Dak last year. And what did they do? They ran the ball way more. And so this was something that I was kind of just wondering about this preseason when we were all talking about the Cowboys, 80 plays a game, 80 plays a game, going to throw the ball 80% of the time, blah, blah, blah. The only question I had was what happens when they lead? Because we don't know. We didn't see it the year before with Mike McCarthy. And we saw it the year before that with Kellen Moore, but we knew McCarthy was going to have some sort of imprint on the team as well. And McCarthy's a, a, a coach that we have seen in the past when he's had a lead, even when he's had an elite quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, he's taken his foot off the gas. And so we really, you know, that's what we saw last week is the Cowboys went much more to the run game rather than through the passing game. Now, it is worth noting um, somebody hit me up on this with Twitter and they, you know, Tony Romo talked about it in the broadcast when he wasn't like having like complete like kid moments, you know, he cracks me that, up. Was an all, like, that was an all time Romo noise. Yeah, yeah it's just so, and I love Romo, but it's just like, come on, Tony, like, good God, dude. Like, are you guys about to like, I, I don't know. It's like him and Jim are about to go on like some you know journey together. But anyway. <laughs> Um, where am I even going with this? <laughs> I'm, I'm just happy you said journey and not something else. 
Yeah. You're like, oh God, Dwayne, go, go, get it back on the road. <laughs> yeah. Journey. Um, so I, I picture them holding hands though, for sure, on whatever journey it is. And there's rainbows and there's unicorns and all that. Okay, kind of stuff. okay, so, okay. Okay. So um, with with Prescott, it's just something to remember. And again, we're still gonna get these big warp speed games. And I said like war speed on Twitter, like that's when you get tired head and you don't notice that you leave a P off of something because you're a moron like me. Um, so it's just interesting to see. But the reason I bring it up is because it worked out really well for Pollard. Because last week, what we saw was Pollard wasn't necessarily really on the field a whole lot more than he was in week one. I mean, 10% more. That's a decent amount more. And Zeke was down 10%. But really, it all became because they wanted to give him the ball on the ground. Uh, where you had seen Zeke at 73% of the rushing attempts and a very pass-heavy game against the Bucks week one, that came down to 53%. So a 20% drop in rushing attempts for Zeke. And that went to Pollard. Pollard jumped up from 20% to 43% of the rushing attempts in this attempt to really run the ball more. And where I was going with the comment was the too high safety look. It was really the Chargers were inviting, you know, the Cowboys to run the ball more often. And they said, okay, we will run the ball more often. We feel good about our <laughs> offensive line. We feel good about our backs. And uh, ended up working out. They won the game. I know it was very close. And a lot of that comes down to the calls that the Chargers did not get, you know, in the passing game. Um, so with Zeke and Pollard, I think moving forward and games where, you know, if it's all of a sudden a shootout, we probably see more like what we saw in week one. And because they like Zeke and pass pro, which you already hit on earlier in the game, earlier uh, in the pod. But if it's a game where it's closer and they're inviting the Cowboys to run, I think that's where you're going to see Pollard potentially carry some standalone value. And it kind of stinks because Pollard's really good in the passing game, but that's really not where they're wanting to give him much work. He still doesn't have, he's only got, uh, well, 94% of the snaps for the season and the two minute offense have gone to Zeke. I mean, that's about as one-sided as it gets long down a distance, 80% of those to Zeke, um, only 20% to Pollard. So, actually 30% to Pollard because they're on the field sometimes together um, in those situations. So Pollard really needs it to be a game where the Cowboys are being invited to run and they feel they can have success that way. I think that's just going to be hard to predict, Ian, because we just don't know what a defensive coordinator is going to do each week. So just a small tap break, you know, break tap on the Pollard standalone value is the only reason I put that stuff out there for you guys. Amari Cooper, we're going to have to see what happens. Um, he has a rib injury as well. Um, we haven't, I, you may have heard something else on this end, but I haven't heard any new, new news on Cooper. So we'll be watching Not the yet. practice reports there, but it is all systems go. If he is playing and for CD lamb, um, he's got the, he's got five and a half out of six boxes green. Ooh. So lamb lamb will be in my top eight. This week um, for fantasy, if Amari Cooper is healthy, um, I'll have to figure out how I'm getting him in my top eight probably as well. <laughs> they both belong up into that spot. When you look at the total, you look at the implied points, and then you look at all the matchup data. It all is screaming that the Cowboy receivers should absolutely destroy this weekend. Only thing I'll add to the Pollard discussion is like, we don't need to have this be a situation where only one of Pollard and Zeke can be good people. Right now, Tony Pollard has the PFS number two rushing grade behind only Nick Chubb, and he is averaging a league high 7.7 yards per carry. I was trying to go through this earlier. Like, how many teams could Tony Pollard be on where the conversation wouldn't be, let's get him more touches? I think the Browns, the Titans, the Vikings, the Saints. Maybe the Packers and the Panthers. Like, that's all I could come up with where we wouldn't be screaming for Pollard to be getting more touches on any other team. So that's fine. He's been fantastic. He should get more touches. Let's quit, you know, making that discussion. I also have to involve putting Zeke down on the ground because Zeke does do a lot of good things. Pollard's just also freaking awesome. He looks like he's shot out of the cannon. Every time he touches the ball, we don't need to, you know, make fun of Zeke just to get that point across. So, 
That's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast, Dwayne. We made it under two hours, an hour 59 minutes. So we'll try to wind things up. Go check out pff.com for Dwayne McFarland's legendary award-winning. If it's not award-winning, it should be utilization report. And we will be back with this podcast every single day throughout the week. You can check out my running back breakdown on the website Wednesday. QB superlatives was up Tuesday. Wide receiver, cornerback, and the always lovely mismatch manifesto on Thursday. So hope you all enjoyed the show. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care, everybody.